The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. <laughs> Good to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while. You're uh you've been nose to the grindstone. Yeah, I disappeared for a bit. I've been hiding from the world. Is I've... this um because of Ukraine? Is it personal? It's like Well no, busy? actually it's because I proposed to Tim Dillon and he said yes. Nice. Uh, this happened in February and You wanna uh, get in shape for the wedding? Yeah, I wanna get in shape for the wedding. And I've been focusing on that. Also, I'm having second thoughts because <laughs> when you sign the paper, you realize this is a real commitment and you're going to have to uh, live with this man for the rest of your life. Not and only I, that, they're going to write fake stories about you like they do about him. The New oh, York they, Post wrote a fake story about him today <laughs> about his it? real estate holdings. They're, oh, yeah. they're inaccurate about the amount and uh, also even about the locations in which he owns homes. In uh, in the in cyberspace, right? No, no, no real homes. Actual actual homes. Yeah, they're like ratting them out about his real houses. Community slaps down four million dollars for Hampton spread. Fake news, kids. Sorry, but the <laughs> thing is, it's like um, real estate people. There's a lot of dirty business in real estate. When a famous person buys a house, they sell the data. They you know someone does it. Whether it's someone who works in the office or what have you, they'll they'll be weaselly with it. Yeah, is that data public? Like what, all the houses you get? In- like, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, famous folks will put a house in under an LLC so that they hide it. But then when it gets leaked, you know someone from, generally speaking, it's someone from the real estate office leaked it. Because they can get paid. Like there's websites that will pay you. So say if, uh, you know, Elon buys a house and uh, he tries to keep it all hush-hush and under the table. Like there was a, a time where... They were trying to say that he's living in someone's house and he's lying about living in this tiny house. It's not true, right? Yeah. You and I know it's not true. Yeah. But they were trying to pretend that he was staying in this opulent house on Lake Austin just because he had been there before. Yeah. He actually lives at my house now. Oh, congratulations. Nice. Little With little, Tim Dillon? With Tim Dillon. Nice. Uh, that's a great odd couple show. I probably shouldn't mention this because it's- Ta-da-ta-da. That would be a wonderful sitcom. You, Tim Dillon, and Elon Musk in the house. Guys, what are we doing? <laughs> We're getting eggs and pancakes? Uh, what did he say? He <laughs> said he was comparing like a Saudi prince with Elon Musk, and like there's trade-offs between the positives and the negatives. He was saying something positive about Elon, that he's working on rockets, but the negative is that he likes Austin. <laughs> 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 and then comparing to the Saudi prince, that I think... <sighs> Like jet skis or something like that. That's a positive. Oh. But then it's corrupt. That's the negative. Tim Dillon is one of my favorite people. Yeah. I'm so is. happy he's around. I'm so happy. Yeah. It's, it's just like that guy makes me laugh so hard. It's just his take on stuff. He just rants with Ben when they're just sitting there next to each other and he's just talking shit. And I love it when he wears the cop glasses, like the aviators. Yeah. That's, it's almost like he's on a drug when he has those on. Yeah. Like he's in a fog. He's, he's, I don't even see you. Yeah. He's channeling something else. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Connor S. Thompson type thing. Yeah. 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 But in reality, the Tim Dillon thing was real. It was April 1st. But uh, yeah, I think my world, my family's world, and I think the world in general was somehow fundamentally changed on February 24th this year when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. I think, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I've been talking to a lot of people about it. I have family in both countries. I come from both countries. 
And um, first and foremost, it made me realize that a global hot war is within the possibility for the century. That we're not so far from a World War III outbreaking. No. And the reason I realized this is because of the behavior of the United States in response to this humanitarian crisis, this invasion, and the response of China that's currently quietly watching, but for the most part supporting Putin and Russia. India, for the most part, is supporting Putin and Russia. And so you have this division in, in the world. You just look at the, the population, the large economies, large military forces, nuclear powers are just watching this conflict, watching this humanitarian crisis, and nobody seems to be shy about escalation. Nobody seems to be shy about mentioning uh, you know, the word nuclear. And it just feels like what I've been, I reread recently as a kind of therapy, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Shire. He's a journalist that was there for, um, for the, the rise of the Nazi party and the World War II and everything like that. And you just have to put yourself, let's say, 100 years back, 1922. Nobody would predict World War II. In fact, everybody would be sure that World War II would never happen. Surely there will never be another world war when you're sitting there in the 1920s. And at the same time, you have Hitler, young Hitler. What is it? 1919, maybe. He is employee number seven of the Nazi party. So he's the seventh person to join uh, the National Socialist German Workers' Party that ended up being one of the most uh, consequential parties ever, uh, political parties ever. So from a party of seven people, 20 years later, you have a party that's threatening the existence of human civilization. If they had nuclear weapons, that would be the case. So in, t in the span of 20 years, that can happen. So now we're sitting here in 2022, the possibility of nuclear war seems to be not as distant as at least I, with my innocence, had imagined. And the possibility of hot war is not that distant. And there's escalation. There's warmongering going on. And at the same time, um, just the humanitarian crisis. I mean, on a personal level, it's the biggest humanitarian crisis. Six, seven million people, refugees, eight million people inside Ukraine displaced. The biggest one since... Um, in Europe, at least, since World War II. So that's one perspective, that this there's this uh, authoritarian who invaded a sovereign land and laid claim on it. That's a, I recently talked to two folks that have this different perspective. One is Stephen Kotkin, who's a historian of Stalin. I highly recommend people read his biography of Stalin. And then the other was, is Oliver Stone, who you talked to mostly about JFK. But he also interviewed Putin, so Oliver Stone's perspective is, look, first of all, America throughout its history has blood in its hands. NATO is pressuring through its expansion, pressuring Putin, pressuring the other non-NATO regimes. And so they um, bear some responsibility for this. And, you know, you look at post-9-11 wars, the in, uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq, Yemen, Syria, the number of refugees there, um, 
the the number of people displaced from their, from their homes is close to 40 million people 40 million people and the number of dead is over a million people and those are wars either started or catalyzed or propped up by the United States that's the Oliver Stone perspective you know this this idea that the United States is the good guys is a complicated one and so he has been starting from the Vietnam War a critic of the military industrial complex and this kind of imperial imperative of the United States that's that perspective then you have Stephen Kotkin you have just the Western perspective is like no yeah America has blood on its hands but you can't do this moral um, it, there's no moral equivalence here there is good guys and bad guys in the world the good guys are flawed yes but the reality is uh, Putin's Russia is an authoritarian regime no respect for freedoms of all kinds, including freedom of the press and freedom of speech. There's a lot of uh, basic violation of human rights, and there's just a straight-up invasion of a sovereign land. And that's a war crime, and Putin is a war criminal. And I'm much closer to that perspective, but it's not factual, it's more emotional, because I just see how much pain there is in that place. Um, I, you know, I've been listening to a lot of people crying, angry, afraid. Um, yeah, it, it, for, for me, there's been just so much personal emotion because this idea that we're all one people, we're all one humanity has been challenged for me personally. I know there's a lot of suffering in the world. I know there's a lot of atrocities in the world, but for me, it's just because I know directly the people. Um, it's like, uh, you know, there's been recently a couple of shootings. There's been a shooting yesterday in the United States. It's different when you have nothing to do with the people when then you, you directly know the people. Yeah, the shooting is an hour and a half away. Yeah, shooting Texas. Here. Yeah. yeah. And that's, but uh, I don't that's, know, 20 children or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 an, it's an atrocity, but it's closer to us, and that's why we, as yeah. Americans, we feel it Yeah. intimately. Just imagine that on another side of the world where you can feel it intimately because you know the people. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess we think of it as differently because what Putin is trying to do is command resources and control a country that used to be a part of the Soviet Union. And what happened yesterday is just beyond explanation, right? It's just a, a completely fucked up situation where a sick person got a hold of a bunch of guns and decided to go kill kids. And it happens in this country, like every, you know, every now and then. It's like, how do you stop that? No one knows how to stop that. What What is the answer? Is the answer take everyone's guns? Well, they're not going to give their guns up. So it's gonna you're gonna have only criminals are gonna have guns. So it's not gonna be a good situation. And is the answer make schools these armored compounds where you have armed guards outside of every school, dressed like it's a military? Boy, that's not something we want either. But what what do you do to protect the children, and how many how many dollars is that going to cost? Like, is do we even have the money to do that? Like, but the, the the Oliver Stone perspective when you're talking about um, the difference between the way we look at the rest of the world versus the way we look at our own actions, when you start bringing up Yemen, Yemen is one that uh, I've had Dave Smith on the podcast multiple times where he talks about it. Dave is very very well read about. Yemen and it's it's a horrific scenario because no one cares and it, it seems to me like not I mean no one cares I mean in the United States this is not something that gets mainstream um, media 
attention on a daily basis. But the bombings are ongoing. Like we, we put up a chart once where they talked about the bombings that are happening in Ukraine versus the bombings that are currently happening in Yemen and bombings that the United States is. And it's, it's wild because it's like swept under the rug and we don't think about it. And we don't even understand why we're doing it. Like if you, I guarantee you, if you just polled a random 1,000 people and say, what are we doing in Yemen? No one would have any idea. You'd have to have someone who really gets into this sort of esoteric, the details, the like what is going on politically, what is going on economically. Someone like Dave Smith even might struggle with the full explanation of what our motivation, not our, the military's motivation is to do this. But it's happening. And because it's not getting any attention, it's allowed to happen without scrutiny. It's allowed to happen without real mainstream criticism. I, if you comb you know, the, the, the television news sources, cable, left and right, you're, you're not going to find discussions of Yemen on a daily basis. But that is the one. If, if there's an area where we can't have that moral high ground, where there, you know, we, we, we say, well, what about you? Like, why do we have those? Why do we, w wouldn't it be better if the United States didn't have any of those that are unjustifiable, where you, you could say, oh, the United States did this in Vietnam. Yes, we did, but it was in the 1970s. Well, that would be ideal in terms of like a, a, an example of learning and growing. Well, so that's the Oliver Stone perspective. Yeah. The thing is, there is, if you look at the details, a fundamental difference between what Vladimir Putin is doing and what the United States is doing. Now, everybody's a victim of somebody's propaganda. Now, I talked to Russians, which is a very interesting thing. Both Russians and Ukrainians say that they are not at all under the influence of propaganda. Russians believe there's no propaganda in Russia. And Ukrainians believe there's no propaganda in Ukraine. That uh, from Russians think the West is influenced by their propaganda, by the CNNs and the Foxes, and Ukraine is influenced by their propaganda, by the limited number of news channels they have that are state-controlled. Okay, from from our Western perspective, that seems ridiculous because it's obvious that Russia is un, uh, under influence of propaganda. But so it's hard to know what is true and not. But the reality seems to be that Russia is currently an authoritarian regime that tries to appear as much as possible as a democracy because there is an election yeah. and there's an extra hard truth on top of that. I don't know what to do with it, but Putin is still and even more so popular in Russia. He's very popular in India, in China, and in Russia, and some small countries around former Soviet Union. What do you do with that? That's real um, objective, well, as far as we can tell, data from outside of, taken from outside of, polls taken from outside of Russia. Do you give any credence to the, the rumors that he has cancer? I... <laughs> I, I'm not an investigative, you know, because there's a lot of sort of rumors of this nature. Oliver Stone even discussed it. He said yeah, it was I, the case <laughs> while he was there. Yes, he said it very nonchalantly, and I thought that was a known fact. And then later I looked, and it was, you know, uh, I'm not sure that was objectively publicly known. But if Oliver said it, then perhaps there's some truth to it. He stayed there for quite a while when he was interviewing Putin. Yeah, two years. No, he visited multiple times, and he... Yeah. You spend time with them. Yeah, I, but uh, according to Oliver, he 
um, he beat it. He beat the cancer. But, you know, he's 69 years old. Seven, it's going to be yeah, 70. But beating the cancer when Oliver was there versus what he has now. Oh, what he has now? Yeah, because he looks like puffy, you know, which is oftentimes, uh, you know, I, I had, we were talking about this with the Christus Stefano podcast. Um, I had a friend who had gout and they, they gave him prednisone. Now, he had something else too um, sarcoidosis. And they gave him prednisone and his like, his face got big. Yeah. And it's just like, he looked puffy. And well, he said it's just a side effect of the steroids. Yeah, his face is puffy, you know? Yeah, Oliver Stone says Vladimir P Putin has struggled with cancer during his time in which the filmmaker focused on his work on the Russian president, pictured about Putin waves during the Victory Day Parade, Red Square, May 9th. Yeah. Well, I'm much more, I'm much less of concerned about the puffiness of his face and more concerned about what's going on with, with his mind. That's it seems like he's too. a different man now than he was even a year ago. In, uh, what's, in what way? Um, so from this is what Oliver Stone commented on, and I agree. He's formed a much stricter information bubble around him that there is uh, that isolation that a lot of us have experienced through COVID. I honestly think it might have to do with just the isolation due to COVID. Mm. You know, the, the basic distance you have to keep and all that kind of stuff. As a as a political leader, you have to have extra precautions. Especially so, a political leader that assassinates his enemies. Yes. Well, no, but that, that, has, that, that was always the case. That has less to do with COVID. But don't you think that increases his paranoia? So, yes, like, the isolation. paranoia. Yeah. The paranoia is the thing, that's what gets dictators. That's what gets you start mistrusting everybody, not just on the outside of the circle, but the inner circle. And so yeah. you don't know who to trust, even though the closest advisors, you don't know who to trust. So your flow of information is really flawed. Yeah. It's very limited. Yeah. And so you start you start making really poor decisions, uh, even more so than before. And there that that's where I mean, if you and I hate thinking of it that way, because to me, uh, the war in Ukraine is a, is a humanitarian thing not a geopolitics thing but if you think geopolitically invading ukraine was just a giant miscalculation on putin's part on every level geopolitical social militarily um unless there's there's very few scenarios in which this was calculated all along the only scenarios of putin thought through um first of all maybe he thought that zelensky would just back down would just crumble under the pressure of even a minor invasion. And obviously, you have to give credit. This is really important. So uh, Ukraine got its independence for the first time in many centuries in 91, 30 years ago, when the Soviet Union collapsed. So they're dealing with independence, with sovereignty, which is a difficult process, as the United States knows. We had a civil war about it. And the same, same thing in Ukraine, there's, there's factions. There's a lot of corruption. It's the second most corrupt country in, in Europe. Next, did you, next did you to Russia. Did you see when uh, the New York Times was questioning Candace Owen on where is she getting her information? That because the New York Times was trying to push this while the Ukraine invasion was happening. They were trying to push this thing that Ukraine was good and Russia is bad. And she was saying, "Well, this is a, one of the most corrupt countries on earth." So they said to her. Like, where are you getting this information? They sent her an email, and she sent them back links to the New York Times and all these articles yeah. about how badly corrupt 
Ukraine was, which just makes me go, God damn, if I can't trust a fucking New York Times to get it right, like yeah. you're supposed to be the, the paper of note. But a lot has changed, though. So Zelensky, the president, he got into office with 70% approval, and before the war he had less than 30% approval. There's factions, there's divisions. The west side of Ukraine is pro, let's say, Ukrainian, and then the right side is pro-Russia. So he got into office, and he had a high approval rating, and then before the war it dropped very low? Yeah, it had been dropping gradually over because of the division, because of the factions. He wasn't able to bring the country together. And the war... Turns out his great leadership uh, was catalyzed, was made possible. Like he was uh, sometimes sort of a catastrophe brings out the best in us. And that was the case with him. So w. He, George W. w. Bush. Yeah. yeah that, well, that's exactly what happened post 9-11. Yes. Uh, the, the, yeah, the, exactly. But in his case, I, he wasn't able to hold that for a long time. Let's see what Zelensky does. But at the moment... He was, Zelensky united a previously divided country, which is very difficult to do. So that, that, um, I mean, that's a historic event in, 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 um, for Ukraine in its sovereign history. And so in terms of corruption, that might be a really big blow to corruption, that mm. kind of unification. So, um. I think there's a fundamental difference between the corruption in Ukraine and the corruption in Russia. What is the conflict in Ukraine? The, the beside Russia, what is the internal conflict? Like the the factions. What are, what are, what do they want? What is a uh, what well, the, the dispute? Well, no, there's there's it's it's just factions that are uh, vying for power. That's just at the basic level. So That's it's basically case. like right versus left in America. Yeah, but okay. So there's a bunch of differences. Um, what they stand for, what they're looking for. A lot of it in the recent years has been centered around the war uh, with Russia, starting with 2014. And so some parts are Ukrainian speaking, pro-Ukraine. Some parts are Russian speaking, or primarily Russian speaking, and, and pro-Russia. So on the east, you have the Donbass region, but around that as well, they want to be closer to Russia. And the, the west part wants to be closer to Europe, closer to NATO, closer to the European Union. Is that, That's one of the divisions. You want to be pro-democracy or you want to be pro-whatever-the-heck <laughs> Russia is. Yeah. So it's like, are you pulling towards the west, to, towards the west, the western civilization, or are you pulling towards the east? Um, the way of Russia, the way of China, the way of those superpowers. And I'm sure they're influenced, and they got have the the ones who are pro Russia. They're they're getting some signals from Putin or meeting with him, and he's giving them indications that they would best be served to be aligned with him and be better for them. And yeah, but he is still popular. He is still there's a. I mean, I don't know exactly why he's popular, but there's a longing as it, there is in a lot of nations to be the greatest nation on earth. Isn't there always just a longing for a strong man, like the strong man leader? I would say a strong vision, and that sometimes can coincide or often does with a strong man. Uh, like isn't a, it like a natural inclination that people have to be led by a strong man? Like Putin, like, like him or hate him, think he's evil, that, that's all good, but there's no doubt that he's strong. He's a strong leader. I mean, he's been running Russia for a long time, and in the way he's been doing that, sort of unopposed, 
in a ruthless manner. It's very impressive. It's evil, but in terms of its efficacy, it's impressive what he's been able to do. I think strength is one of the things we admire in leaders, but it's yeah. not the entirety of it. Like, no. So that's why Zelensky is extremely popular. He stepped up, you know, the the famous thing. He was uh, Biden offered him a ride, and he said, fuck that. I'm staying put. Give me more bullets. And uh, he stayed in Kiev, Kiev and held <laughs> held his ground where most leaders would have fled. Uh, this is the failure we had in Afghanistan where we fled. Here's a leader that stepped up and held his ground, and that's rare in this world, and we admire that kind of strength, yes. And the same could be said by the Russian people, the Indian people, the Chinese people that admire strength in Putin. But we also admire other values that make this country great, the United States of America, is, is this kind of respect for human freedom, mm -hmm. human rights, and... Um, I mean, sort of the embodiment of this ideal of like all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. That's not exactly communicated very clearly by by Vladimir Putin. Right. Um, you know that's. You know, <laughs> but and there's also a difference between and this again the Oliver Stone perspective is uh, between the messaging and the actual execution. You know, Hitler's messaging was also very sort of. Uh, beautiful sounding right what, mm -hmm. what is he talking about sort of uh national socialism respect for workers right like the the downtrodden workers um that were uh, germany is a great nation that deserves to be respected among other nations and it was not respected because of world war one okay but like are you also going to mention that you're going to murder and imprison and torture people millions of people you're not, mm -hmm. you're not. And the same things with, with America, not moral equivalence at all, obviously. But we talk a lot about freedom. But what does freedom actually look like? You know, when we fight terrorism and evil in the world, what does that actually look like? Um, well, it turns out that it looks like you're bombing civilians, children, lose their fathers and mothers. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people, civilians die when you're spreading freedom all over the world. So we have to be very careful sort of separating the the messaging from the actions. And we have to, as, a, as Americans, make sure we live up to the ideal, and we don't always. And that, I think when you just paint the whole world as black and white, it's easy for us to say America good, China, Russia bad. Yeah. And, and instead of the, the full complexity of that, and that there's warmongers like that watch Ukraine now with the money that we're sending there and they get excited because they can escalate. And if they escalate, they can get more and more money for manufacturing weapons yeah. to both sides, to all sides. And what if China enters with Taiwan, that tension, that military conflict, and there's nukes on the ready everywhere. It's, Not only that, there's hypersonic nukes. You know, this whole mutually assured destruction, Mike Baker explained this to me from the CIA. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction is not on the table anymore. He goes, because with hypersonic weapons, they can attack so quickly we can't retaliate. So it's a matter of who pulls the trigger first. Well, there's Listen, so much secret apart, stuff. If you're standing apart from a guy yeah, and you have a gun and he has a gun and you have your finger on the trigger and he has his finger on the trigger and you're like, you know what? I don't trust this guy. Boom. You pull that trigger. That guy's dead. There's no retaliating. 
Yeah. He's not going to retaliate. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's not like you have a gun and he has a gun and you are 700 yards away and you have a pistol and he's 700 yards away. So you're out of the effective range. And you say, you know what? I'm going to move in on this guy and I'm going to shoot him. But then he's going to shoot me. He's going to see me coming. He's going to shoot me. And we're both going to die. That's mutual short destruction. What he's saying is no. You can launch this thing, and it looks like it's going to hit Seattle, and it takes a hard left turn and goes right into Chicago, and there's yeah. not a damn thing you can do to stop it, and you can't predict where it's going to go. I think the, the American military-industrial complex is listening to this and is saying, hold my beer. No, I'm because sure they are, but if they the do defense, it too. But the thing is, Russia does have that. But I, I am pretty sure. Russia, yeah, we do too, but it doesn't matter. Once someone launches it. No, 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 no. no. American defense systems are, are You incredible. think that they can stop that? Yes. Yes. They say they can't. Who says that? Military no. experts. I uh, would. I want to see their credentials and how much access they actually have. Okay. Because yeah, people that comment on stuff. I've okay with the so just even with the limited access I've had, uh, have spoken with a lot of people in Lockheed Martin and all over. I realize how much secrecy there is, in terms of how many incredible weapon systems there are. It, given how much money is poured into these black ops, just ridiculous, yeah. and they they think of them almost as toys. The way you love cars, they love incredible weapons, and it's almost they they take pride in making sure that America's uh, high tech military systems are better than anybody else in the world. You know that's what I think more and more that these UFOs are. I don't yeah. think that those things are from another world anymore. I've been watching these uh, videos of these things where these uh, fighter jets are getting scrambled to intercept these objects that are flying in insane speeds over the ocean. And I'm like, why would we assume that those aren't just super fucking capable drones that we don't know exist yet? We can have both. Yeah. We can have, we definitely we can have, have both. both. <laughs> we definitely can have both. I think both is on the table. Yeah. But I think a lot of this shit that they're watching, like here's the one. I've been thinking about this Commander David Fravor thing, this Tic Tac thing mm -hmm. off of the coast of uh, San... Why would it go there? Why, why would it go there? Well, that's where all the fucking military is. Why would it go there and be completely undetected and be operating in the middle of the ocean and be operating over what looks like something that's some sort of a submerged base or some sort of a submerged vehicle that interacts with this drone that operates at an insane rates of speed? Like... Wouldn't you? And it ha, it has active radar jamming, so it actively jams you. Oh, why why wouldn't we assume that that's ours? Yeah, given how much secrecy there is in yeah. in, in American government and Not just Chinese that, government, but how much fake transparency there is from the Pentagon and from Congress, where they're having meetings about UFOs. We need to inform the general public, like they give a fuck about what we think about anything. What benefit is there to inform the general public other than none? Yeah, and I'm not sure how much politicians know. I feel like politicians is like the surface wave yeah. of an ocean. I feel like most of the work is done um, by people that are employed for their whole life and working in the DOD Department of yeah. Defense and Deep State. Yeah, I mean that term. That's, that has term been, is beat, beat up, but yeah. it's a real term. Yeah, you know, I mean, whatever that is, the state. What is the state? What is the government? And what is the government that is not elected and doesn't get removed from office every four years? What is well, I, I think, doesn't the deep state imply there's a deep, like, corruption and manipulation of the populace to sort of, uh, like, like a sort of conspiratorial, like, controlling the populace? The goal is to, like, 
for the people that are really in control to get richer and more powerful and that kind of stuff. But doesn't that just come with the territory? No, I don't think it does necessarily. I know. Have I, you checked I, Nancy Pelosi's bank account? I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and her are very close. I like older women. No. Um, she was hot when she was young. Was she? Yeah. I just Jamie, found this. Can you pull that up? Oh, okay, never mind. What is this? <laughs> this is different. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, I have to start drinking before we start about talking <laughs> about how hot Nancy Pelosi was. Googling uh, underwater drone stuff, you know? Uh-huh. And I found this sales. This, this looks like a sales video from 2016. Uh-huh. Showing a drone that could be launched and controlled from a submarine that's underwater. This was, you know, around the time of that Tic Tac thing, wasn't it? The Tic Tac was 2004. But oh, okay. sure, close enough. I mean, if this is something that they're talking about in 2016, they're probably on the 18th iteration of it. Out of there, and is being controlled by it. I mean, what? How many? That's crazy. Yeah. So this is, but this is all CGI, right? Well, this this is, but I mean, I believe that means they have it. They're just showing. I watched one drone, this super fast drone that was hovering, and this was like something that they were just showing the capabilities of. It was hovering, and it goes. It just took off, and it was propeller-driven, some sort of a, a, a electrical propeller-driven thing. It wasn't like any sort of combustion engine, but it was fucking insanely fast. Yeah, they get. I, I I've been working with drones recently too, like robotics, just small experiments. I know. I try to pretend that you're normal. <laughs> I try to like. Try to pretend that you're not actually working on artificial well, yeah, intelligence. Well, I stopped. I stopped so much of that. I give, I've been yeah I, mean, I like I said I've been in a really low point like really low point I'm sure uh, up and up and down but uh, these drones uh, but the drones there I mean you're talking about I mean I don't want to exaggerate but you're very high speeds it's like 40 miles an hour I mean, and those are just not like 40 miles an hour 30 no. 40 not I mean, 40 what? miles an hour is slow no, 40 that, miles an for hour a tiny drone that's very fast no 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 these these fucking things are way faster than that. Uh, but this one the agility. So j- just to be clear, this is you can navigate at that speed inside uh, inside a building. Oh, whoa! So small drones. Yeah, yeah, like small okay. small drones. This thing that I was looking at, it was so fast. It was hovering and it just went and took off. And I was watching this video. Of this thing. I mean, it took off really fast, like hundreds of miles an hour. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, how do we know that that's not what these UFOs are? Yeah. Like, why Why wouldn't we assume that one of these things would be considered a UFO? Because here it is hovering, right? So it's at a dead stop, and then it just fucking bolts off at insane rates of speed. Well, of course, you're talking about pilots observing this, and they say that this was beyond the, the right. realms of physics. So Right. But there could be, like, I mean, I don't understand why there couldn't be just manipulation of the human eye, sort of hologram type of stuff. Because it was detected on these machines. They, they, right. they And they recalibrated their machines. To make sure that these things were accurate. What is this one? Let's see this. <laughs> see? That's what I'm talking about. That's son. different. That's different. Come on, that son. That is wild. Watch that. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm exactly what I'm talking that about. That's not the fast. video. Yeah. yeah, but but watch this again. <laughs> what? Zero what? to 120 miles an hour in one second. And then it comes back. All right. Is that fake? No. Looks fake. I, I, mean, I, just, I found multiple videos. I just found a good one to show Watch you. Watch this again. Uh, I 
I feel uh, Look how fast it is. That looks like a UFO. With my thirty mile, uh, <laughs> miles an hour yeah. Drugs. When you were going forty miles an hour, I thought he was going to say forty thousand miles an hour. You mean forty thousand? No, it just feels really fast. It's, yeah. It looks really fast because when it's small, I don't know what that. When it's small, it that speed is yeah. Uh, it's felt much more intensely. Sure, I because think. it's difficult to follow with the eye. Yeah. Where it's a large object going 120 miles an hour like a plane. Plane's yeah. going 500 miles an hour. It doesn't look like it's going fast at all. Yeah. This and one goes 316 <clears throat> miles an hour. Oh, yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about, man. These fucking things are fast as shit. So if you're looking at a small thing, if they make something that's the size of a Frisbee and it's going 300 miles an hour, it's going to look preposterously fast. It's going to look like it's from another world. And more and more, they're being controlled by AI, which yeah. is great. Yeah, great times. But it, it brings me back to um, when Bob Lazar, and I know he's a super controversial character that people immediately like roll him. their eyes. I like him too. His discussions of that fusion engine, that whatever, the, what, I don't know if you'd call it fusion, what is it with the element 115? I mean, what, what, whatever it is, the, the yeah. gravity-defying or gravity-manipulating drive that he said that sport craft hat which is this thing right here that's the thing yeah that's the model of it yeah <clears throat> yeah what, what what about he didn't say anything about his capabilities he was just saying that's something he observed right? yeah he didn't know the physical speed of it because they never figured out how to do it right. all they figured out how to do it was to get it to move around a little bit they never figured out how to get it to just like completely manipulate gravity but he said the function the way it does it it manipulates gravity around it. The way he described it, he said, would be like putting an insanely heavy bowling ball in the middle of a mattress. Yeah. So it pulls everything around it like that and, and bends space and time through its manipulation of gravity. And by doing that, it can go from one point to another point insanely fast. So like when... Commander David Fravor described this vehicle that was more than 50,000 feet above sea level and went to 50 feet above sea level in less than a second. Like that kind of capability. Yeah. Yeah. If that's By the real. way, I asked, uh, I tried to ask around MIT, and there's no record of Bob Lazar ever being there. No, I'll tell you why. Hmm. I can't tell you why. We're going to edit this out. Okay. We're and we're back. See, that's why. <laughs> but doesn't it make sense now? Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Well, there wasn't a record of him being at Los Alamos. They lied about that. I mean, he was on the employee register. Not only that, he when they took him to Los Alamos, he navigated his way through the entire building. He knew the security guards. He talked to, to people that had worked there when he worked there. Some of them went on the record. Some of them were unwilling to go on the record. He knew the very machine that they'd used to detect the length of the digits in your fingers. You know, through some sort of a, I don't know what kind of scan it is, but you put your hand on this, and he described it, and someone took a photo of it that it had existed in Los Alamos. He's like, yeah, that's it. He went from there. I mean, it was clear that he has a very high level of scientific sophistication, right? He developed this rocket engine that he put in his Honda. So he put a fucking jet engine in a Honda. He developed a hydrogen engine to put in his Corvette. Like, this is all, like, working functional stuff, and he talked about it, like, how incredible it was. I mean, there's a video of him describing his Corvette. The guy's fucking brilliant. Yeah, and but he also seems to have some demons. and We all have demons. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know if I'm, I should comment on that part or not. <laughs> I'm tempted to. <laughs> but all of this started since we started using nukes. Right. Which brings us back to the reality that the nukes aren't off the table. Right. Well, all this started because we were using nukes, and that's when the wave of UFO appearances happened. Yeah. See, I'm inclined to believe that we are being visited. And if we are being visited, the level of sophistication of any civilization that's able to send, whether it's a drone, you know, piloted by AI or by some sort of uh, robot creatures, like, I would measure us. I would watch us. I would keep a fucking very close eye on our capabilities. And the stories of them hovering over nuclear facilities and shutting down all of their facilities shutting down all the weapon systems that seems that would make sense like if i was monitoring from another world i would say look these are territorial apes with nuclear weapons and we need to figure out a way to stop them in their transition they're they're making a transition from extremely primitive to using tools to engines the industrial age to the technological age in which we're at now where things are accelerating far beyond our capacity to understand the implications of what happens if like your your field of study ai if ai gets implemented on a large scale and becomes sentient and then countries that have well, i don't even know what our morals are but but if we had that capability in uh, a brutal military dictatorship and they decided to use it to control the entire world that's and they probably have information about how other civilizations have failed the great filter that stopped them from existing and they realize when you start to get something like nuclear weapons that's when yeah it's all within like a hundred years it all goes to shit so there's if you want to preserve a particular civilization like a tribe you would want to start helping him out. That's the positive spin of it. I do think that their capability. I think. I think the universe is just full of alien civilizations, yeah. but I think their capabilities are far, far superior to human capabilities. But like, maybe not. Maybe we're the best. I just don't. I. I can't imagine that. Why not? Someone has to be the best. Yeah. Why isn't America? <laughs> Imagine we're the best in the universe. This is as good as it gets. This this is the best. Most people well, are, because most I, things I could, are evil. I could see that argument. <laughs> evil. Oh boy, I've been listening to a lot of people tell me how they feel about America, um, a country, by the way, I love. And I should say, this is you know I joke around about this, but I am American. I'm now. I believe in the ideals of this country. I will die an American. I love this country, and also. My heart is the only thing I care about is with the people in terms of the war in Ukraine is with the people of Ukraine. And I do think that the invasion of Ukraine is a war crime. And I think Putin in this act is a war criminal. I just want to put that on the table because we're talking about Oliver Stone a lot. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> evil, you know. Evil is a weird word. It's a weird word because they'll look at what we're doing with cows and they'd be like, uh, you, you, all of you humans seem to be torturing your food a lot okay how it's, about what we're doing with plants yeah we now know that plants have some sort of innate intelligence some sort of ability to communication some sort of a community that they share with the mycelium with neighboring plants they they allocate resources to plants that are in in jeopardy 
they release defense chemicals when they know they're being eaten. <laughs> Your salad is screaming in pain. It might be. It might be. And that, you know, aliens obviously would be able to know this kind of information much better. If you have a deep understanding of what is life, yeah. of, of what is a life form, how do you go from non-life to life, you're able to understand what is the nature of consciousness, what is the nature of suffering, and then you could see maybe plants do suffer, maybe to a lesser degrees than humans, but at scale, we're basically uh, parasites and torturers of all life on Earth, we meaning humans. So they, they could have that perspective. But I, I just I, I just think the most advanced alien civilization would be the one that reaches us first. And so they would be just orders of magnitude more advanced. So anything we see visibly in terms of stuff that uh, Commander Fravor saw, that's them trying to sort of talk down to us, like dumb yeah. down their their stuff to be able to communicate in some kind of way with us otherwise mm. if they wanted to be invisible i just i think they could be invisible to us well i think they probably are for the most part yeah i think I, that's why they're these the unique experiences where people have these interactions with them and then they don't know what to do or what to say because it seems so bizarre and no one wants to believe it because we have an inability to really think rationally about something that we have no evidence of like, if someone has an experience, it's a completely unique experience. So, like, if you walk outside of this studio and you, you get in your car and then all of a sudden something hovers over your car, all traffic stops around you, time stands still, you, your car stops, you get outside the car and this thing hovers and these creatures come out and they communicate with you. And they communicate with you telepathically and tell you that this civilization, that life itself on Earth is in grave danger. And that you have to do your best to try to implement artificial intelligence in a way that's going to subvert that. That's going to save people. And this is imperative. And if you don't do that, there's a real possibility with the capabilities of weapons now that they're going to miss something. And something's going to detonate. It's going to start a domino chain of events that's going to be unstoppable and it's going to wipe out life on Earth. And then they go away. And then you're standing there in front of your car. And then traffic starts moving again. And you're just standing there and you're going, what the fuck happened? Did, was yeah. that real? And then you call me. And, and you go, hey, Joe. Gotta believe sh- I believe you. All right. I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> I believe a lot see, of shit. See, but that, that, that's like a... Uh, so that's, that's a possibility, but that's like a physical manifestation. You know, I, I, just, I just think there's so many other ways to influence humans. Like, what about where do ideas come from? What about the fe- seeding of ideas? What about consciousness itself? Oh, yeah. I think Just, ideas are aliens. Yeah, they're like, could uh, tell me one scientist or artist that can tell you where their good ideas came from. Right. They're all like, oh, just, I mean, it's never systematic. It's always like you're, you're, you're like channeling, you're a receiver, an antenna for something. Yeah, like, where's that what coming is creativity, from? right? Yeah, where, where's that coming from? Where's it coming from? <laughs> The muse. I mean, Pressfield always talks openly about the muse, and he treats it that way when he sits down to write. He treats it like it's a real object that's giving him information, and that he treats it with respect because that's how the muse rewards him for his hard work. Yeah, but also not just ideas, consciousness itself. Yeah. Like, we take this for granted. It feels like something to be this. Yeah. Like, what is that? Because, like, do other animals have this? Maybe this kind of consciousness that we have, ability to richly experience the world in a really interesting, complicated way, maybe that's, that's a gift from elsewhere 
for us to be able to understand ourselves and to create something that will save this place. Or maybe it's a function of the universe that constantly encourages innovation. If you look, I mean, I, yeah. I've said this ad nauseum, but I'll say it again because it fits into this conversation. If you were observing the earth from afar, if you had no no context, if you, you didn't understand the human species at all, if you were completely alien from it, you were being made of light and you're observing what what these creatures do. Well, what's the predominant change-oriented creature on this planet? It's humans. And what do humans do? Well, it seems like they make better and better stuff. That's what they're always doing. And maybe that's what materialism is all about. Maybe our obsession with materialism is an insurance policy that fuels constant innovation. You know, like, I have a phone, an iPhone, one of my other phones, that's three years old, maybe? When I use it, I can't fucking tell. But when the new one comes out, I'm going to be one of the first dorks to get it. Why am I going to get it? Because I'm a fucking idiot. Because I want the newest, latest, greatest shit. And I want, to, I want to fuel this innovation. Well, why is that? I, well, what, is it do, what are we doing? Well, we're eventually moving towards more and more capable things. More and more capable machines. We are the electronic caterpillar. We're giving birth to the butterfly, and we're making a cocoon, and we don't even know why. We're just fucking constantly trying to buy the newest. Oh, this one goes 0 to 16, 1.9 seconds. Gotta get it, gotta get it. You know, and we're constantly involved in this pursuit of technological innovation. Now, if you think of ideas, every single thing that exists on this planet, whether it's a mug or a house or a fucking windmill that creates electricity, all of those came out of the human imagination. All of them. You had an idea, a guy collaborates with this woman and she has an idea and her idea fits with your idea and it makes your idea better and more capable. And then you get together with a group of people, you form a startup and your ideas all gel together and you're working 16 hours a day around the clock to make the world a better place with this new idea and this new product and this new innovation and everything gets better over time. Nobody goes, you know what? These phones we got here right now, we're good. Let's just stop innovating. Let's tell Samsung yeah. and Apple, let's just leave it the way it is, and we, we're good with phones. And let's channel this into cancer research. Let's channel all this creativity into uh, fertility work. Let's try, let's try to take the phthalates out of the fucking bloodstreams and the, the, the microplastics out of people's water supply. No, 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 no. More, better, crazier stuff. But by the way, to push back, you said nobody says we had enough of the uh, communist regimes did. Authoritarian regimes often do. They actually suffocate innovation, which is interesting. If you look at Earth yeah. as a whole, it seems like that's why they fail. It's like the the capitalist imperative, the the innovative societies flourish, yeah. and they they push out. True. Oh, throughout history, they they get the, rid of the tyrants and the authoritarians and so on. Because yeah, because there's something about innovation that like wins. Yeah. It's like almost, yeah. It is almost like at least Earth wants us to be innovative. Well, the human race wants to innovate it seems like the whole universe wants constant states of complexity just from the time the big bang exists to multi-celled organisms to conscious things to conscious things that manipulate their environment like human beings it's this constant state of ever-increasing complexity yeah yeah in all different forms which makes me wonder what that looks like because there's probably life here in the solar system on probably if it's it might be dead 
but maybe living on Mars and Titan, the different moons throughout and what, what the fucking thing looks like. Because there's like, there's moons that are volcanoes, there's moons that are ice oceans, and that's going to be all weird kinds of life. It could be, yeah. it could be microscopic, it could be gigantic things yeah that span like i don't know kilometers yeah i don't know why i say kilometers miles. Well, how about the fucking the, the the mushroom uh growth that's in the pacific northwest yeah the mycelium growth that's li- literally the largest physical organism that's on that Earth. counts as one organism yeah they think of it as one organism and it's conscious it has a consciousness it's it's in it's communicating yeah. with plants i mean you know fungus breathes air yeah, it breathes air. And not only that, it might have come here from panspermia. It might have hitched a ride. Spores exist. They can exist in a vacuum of space. They can exist in insane temperatures. They could have come here, like psilocybin and all these like psychoactive compounds that you know Terrence McKenna believed were responsible for the development of the human brain, the doubling of the human brain over a period of two million years. That's his th- stoned ape theory. That might have come from outer space. You know, there's this idea, uh, I don't know where I read this, uh, I think Robin Hansen, um, it doesn't matter, but this idea that a super advanced alien civilization planted life somewhere in our galaxy, in this in this local pocket around our solar system, and then the aliens we're seeing now are just our local neighbors. They're like similarly advanced as us because they started out at the same similar time. Mm. But there's a much there's like uh, there's daddy <laughs> that came somewhere. from somewhere this giant thing that just planted life and walked away yeah and is watching from a, f- a much larger distance which w- would better explain that the uh, technological advancements of the aliens that visit us are similar to ours like yeah there may be ten times better but not millions times better yeah so that's oh. an interesting that the, we have a bunch of neighbors and then in that case. Elon and the rockets will help us find those neighbors that there's hope. Well, look at it this way If you had neighbors and your neighbors are a bunch of 18 year old kids with guns. Yeah, that uh, Maybe even admired you if they met you like Lex Friedman. Yeah, what are you doing around here? Yeah Well, I'm trying to get you guys to stop fucking blowing up refrigerators in your backyard. Yeah, you know like (laughs) You guys are doing stupid shit and it's causing real fucking problems in the world I would I would have to Watch how I present that case. But what to if them. they knew you? Well, they yeah, respected that, I, you. I think that could turn quickly, right? Depends on who they are. I feel like if there was a bunch of eighteen-year-old dudes that were UFC fans, I could probably knock on their door and talk to them and talk them out of uh, the refrigerator. I could like, probably activities. explain that what you're doing by putting thermite in these gigantic refri. Have you ever seen these no. guys that do this? No. Okay, this thermite fun. is. Uh, it is called thermite, right? I believe it's called thermite. It's, uh, oh, uh, tannerite. Tannerite? Yeah, that's it. Yep. So there's a shit you can buy. Thermite is something else. Uh, tanner- thermite is some shit they think cuts. Uh, I mean, I typed in thermite, and it's coming up as both. So I've seen Yeah. I think thermite is that thing that they believe cuts. Like, you can pour it on metal and light it on fire, and it'll slice right through the metal. It's like some kind of incendiary uh, compound. By the way, you have okay, whiskey? Yeah. Or are we, are yes, we doing yes now you're ready. Yeah, yeah. Yay. It's, it's just for science. Tell for uh, science. Tannerite's an explosive. Yes, tannerite is what I'm talking about. Thermite is the stuff that cuts metal. So tannerite, what they do is, let's get some uh, icing glasses and whiskey. Um, Thanks, Jamie. Tannerite 
what they do is they fill up refrigerators and then they'll shoot it from a distance and on impact it explodes and so many people have died fucking with this stuff like man almost killed watch this okay watch this guy he shoots his refrigerator watch this Just to aim. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> That's Texas. Welcome to Texas. That's where you live. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Texas. So you're saying you, you could talk those. that guy uh, out of doing that particular activity? Well, that particular activity is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. That's dangerous, and you're probably going to die if you're. You don't. A lot of times, people don't understand the the physical force that that stuff generates that you think this refrigerator, like they've done it with safes, where they've uh, detonated safes, and these enormous vault doors, yeah. like bank vault doors, going 150 miles an hour through a fucking tree. <laughs> like it's, it's immense amounts of power, and minuscule compared to, you know, nuclear explosions. So if, you know, you, you take me visiting the neighbors and say, hey, let me just explain what's gonna happen. If you blow that thing up, you guys can't be anywhere near here. You're going to have to be like a mile away. What? No, a mile away. Yeah. Like a mile is only 5,000 feet, kids. And you go, do you know how 5,000 feet is? It's not that far. You can run it in four minutes if you're fast. Dallas County explosion caused by teens using Tatterite while target shootings. Yeah, see? This is fucking Texas, normal shit. once again. Yeah, you can get it. But Tatterite is it's very dangerous stuff. And readily available. I know guys who have it. Yeah, this sounds this sounds like a perfect metaphor for nuclear weapons because I yes. know I also know guys that have nuclear weapons. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> you've seen those uh, videos of when they first detonated nuclear bombs in the oh, ocean. Yeah. Those tests. Yeah, they had no idea. They just took a chance. Yeah. They're like, we have a rough understanding of like how much energy is going to be dispersed and how far the. It was way bigger than they thought. Yeah, way bigger. Well, uh, Eric Weinstein is actually a big proponent of above ground, return to above ground nuclear testing, so that humans can see what it looks like. Yeah, what it looks like, because this is real. Yeah, yeah. Grab some of that. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, above ground nuclear testing is uh, fucking really dangerous, though. To, I yeah, don't think we nuclear know. Weapon, no, we don't. He's saying like with you know Will Smith slapping somebody and we get distracted. <laughs> we need to be reminded what the what are the actual catastrophic possibilities of the of the weapons that we have. Many of those brown. I think that's wine, buddy. Isn't it? Is it really? Oh, cool. Maybe it's good. That's fancy. I bet that's really good. Oh, it's twelve years old. Yeah, okay. This is. Uh, I only drink this? anything above thirty years old, but that's oh, fine. I'll well, you're gonna have that. to slum it, buddy. <laughs> Thirty-year-old stuff is great. God, it's so smooth. Oh, do you do? You, can you actually tell the difference? That yeah, age, the age of the whiskey. Unfortunately, <laughs> that means you've been drinking yeah. a good amount. Yeah. Well, I really love. This is my favorite. My favorite is Buffalo Trace for a couple reasons. One, because it's the oldest continually operating distillery in America. It's yeah. literally older than America itself. This is from 1773. Nice. But it's also just really good, and the people that make it are awesome. Cheers, Cheers my friend. So maybe you could be um, an expert witness for the for the Johnny Depp trial on on uh, on alcohol and drugs. No, alcohol. no I can't be on drugs because there's too many drugs I'm uh, uninitiated in. Like um, no cocaine experience whatsoever. None. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you wish you, you wish you wish uh, there's a part of your life where you've experienced that? No. Because some of the greatest comedians ever. Listen. <laughs> um, it's good <laughs> talking to you. It's good to get crazy. Yeah. Good getting crazy is good for comedians. Like it's good to get drunk. It's good to get. I have a very specific kind of mind where my ego should not be encouraged, yeah. but in fact be squashed as much as possible. Humility should be encouraged at every turn, and what does that to me is marijuana. Marijuana is the perfect drug for me, because marijuana calms me down, makes me sweeter, much more friendly, much more affectionate, much more kind, much more generous, and uh, more creative. I think about things more. I have a, I have a ape mind. My mind is, uh, you know, you don't. I don't want to encourage confidence. I have plenty of that. Yeah, I'm not looking to do that. I'm looking, to, <laughs> I'm looking, I'm to looking for down. the opposite. And just a little bit of anxiety and paranoia. Yeah, I like a little of that. Just a I little like a bit. little paranoia. A little bit. Okay. I like it. And you're saying alcohol? Alcohol is just like a social lubricant for me. It makes yeah. me silly. Like I'm not a mean drunk. I'm a happy drunk. Yeah. I get yeah, happy. I talk a lot of shit. I laugh a lot. I want people to know I love them. It's like I think that's good for me. In moderation, like the drunkest I've ever I ever get is really on the podcast, because you're sitting here for hours and hours yeah, just, just drinking, drinking and talking. Disappears. By the way, I regret uh, that the Vegas thing <laughs> where I, I got really drunk and an empty stomach. I don't remember anything, and I feel like I embarrassed myself deeply. No, and I didn't. I've, I've recently spoken uh, a few times with uh, with David Goggins just on, on the phone and stuff, and I just. <laughs> You know when you like Should we tell the whole story? Oh, <laughs> yeah. So we go to Schultz's wedding. Great Schultz fucking time. And uh we're having a good old time at uh, our boy Schultz's wedding. It's very it's beautiful. I cried. Can can I take can I take a tangent on that? Yes, please. And I think <laughs> got the video from the airport. Do you have I have to I have to mention I mentioned to you before I'm a huge fan of Bobby Lee. He should be on yes. this podcast. I love Bobby Lee. I saw he was on your show too. Yeah, he's I is by the way, Bobby Lee's been invited to my podcast yeah, multiple times. Okay. Multiple times. Well, you should you should get him on. I'm gonna you have to should... reach out to him. Yeah, I feel like he is even... so. I might have to fly to L.A. and hold his hand and drag no, no. him on a flight. I think he just needs a real invitation. He knows I love him. I cry because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's been a lot of drama lately, and one of the things that happened was somehow or another my name got entered into this thing, and I don't want to get into it in too much detail, but. I'm like, okay, I must call Bobby, and I called him, and I said, listen, I don't know what kind of, I'm just hearing about this nonsense now, but I love you, I would never let anybody talk bad about you, I would never let anybody come on my show and talk bad about you, I think you're an awesome guy, I think you're incredibly talented, and I know that you have fear of like performing and putting out a special and stuff like that, but I really think you should because I think you're one of the best comedians alive. And I think, and I've said that to him many, many times, I always give him shit like, when are you going to do a special, what are you doing? Because Bobby Lee, like, first of all, his special is so tight because he's been doing the same material for so long. He's a fucking amazing comedian. He really is. But there's also a natural uniqueness to his comedy. Like, I can think of, like, Duncan Trussell. There's certain comedians that are just, like, occupy their own space. Yes. There's just, a, like, it's not that just that they're funny, but this is, like, you haven't seen one of those. Right. Yes, Duncan's 100% like that. He's 100% Duncan Trussell. Like, whatever influences he has, his influences are like, you know, fucking gurus and, and, and weird LSD pioneers. And, yeah. that, you know, that's, those are the, the type of people that are influenced in his comedy. But he's, uh, um, Bobby Lee is, uh, he's a unique 
case. Yeah, see, definitely, it would be an amazing uh, podcast to have with him to, to be on your show. But he was he, great on yours. Yeah, he was. Well, I was also starstruck, which is weird. Certain people you meet because you've seen them so many times, mm. you just it it, it it hits you like, oh, yeah. wow, that's a real person too. But um, especially what's fit, like I was like that when I met you for the first time. But actually, many times since, also, is like because you cause the podcast thing is when you listen to a person, you get to know them really well one way. And then, yeah. So he has a really good uh, Tiger Belly podcast. Um, anyway, uh, I was like, and that. still he wasn't invited to uh, Schultz's Andrew Schultz's wedding. wedding. Why was that? What uh, happened there? No, because uh, what Andrew told me is it was between me and Bobby, and he chose. No, I'm just kidding. It was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Know. I think they they joke back and forth about it. They're talking shit because Bobby says he wants to get. I think he wants to get married just so he can not invite Andrew Schultz <laughs> back to his wedding. I think that's the joke. Wow. Um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, the wedding, and then we drank, we started drinking. We started drinking. Yeah. Yeah, and then Whitney had a gig in Vegas, and uh, she was going to fly out of Santa Barbara to Vegas, yeah. so uh, I talked to my wife, and I talked to you, and I said, let's go with Whitney to Vegas, and we'll fly back tonight. It'll yep. be fun. Yep. So, uh, Lex keeps drinking, and you have you it too. in your head. But, but you're, you're... Well, there's the push-up contest. I get that first. Oh, yeah, yeah. The push-up <laughs> contest was in there. So this, But this, okay. is, uh, this is the end of the night. When we're at the... Let me just oh, lay this out. Let me lay this out, too. Because at the end of the night, we're supposed to fly back, and there's no jet. So Whitney, they had chartered a private jet for Whitney to do a private show with uh, Dana Carvey yeah. in this woman's house, this opulent house in yeah. this beautiful community in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So but the whole thing is wild. Like It's crazy. You're flying in. There's Whitney Cummings, ladies and gentlemen. Dana Carvey's here. And uh, you keep drinking. Yeah. So at the end of the night. Hey, you're, you're making it sound like you're not also <laughs> drinking heavily. Yeah, but look at the end of the night. You can tell I got a little slur to my words. Like, let's... I'm not driving it. Really. Oh, hello. I've been out here in Vegas. You, so, you sound quite drunk, um, sir. Yeah, I'm a little drunk. I went to Andrew Schultz's wedding. But it's also and, three in the morning. Uh, I'm really tired, too. Whitney Cummings and my wife and uh, Rex Friedman. And then we went to Vegas. And Lex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got a little drunk. Now I'm not drunk. I'm wide awake and I'm drinking coffee. My favorite part is the end. Lex a little drunk. Not where Whitney <laughs> realizes what the fuck. So she's, she's like Joe. She's like, what? What did she realize that you're just fucking, uh, fucking with me? Yeah, no, was... she's trying to figure out how to get out of there too, because okay, yeah, they, yeah. they were trying to make a decision. We wound up actually getting a car service to drive yeah. us all the way back drive to L.A. All the way back. It's like a four-hour drive all the way back to L.A. I was fucking out of it. And you're out, out of it. Yeah, and so out of it. Whitney's like fucking doing her taxes next to me. She's wide awake. My wife fell asleep in the very back seat. Yeah, she's an interesting person because like amidst all of that, she's on top of shit. Oh, she's got she's got a lot of energy, and like, uh, yeah, being able to manage everything, like, yeah. like all these different like career things, she's, personal things, all of it. Yeah, well, I mean, her, you would think comedians are like a little bit disorganized, 
not her. No, her brain is very different. Very different than any other comedians that I know. And she's a beautiful person. Like, not just pretty, but like her brain. Like, she's, yeah. she's so nice. She really is. She like, she gets caught in conflicts and stuff like that. And like everyone does, you're dealing with social dynamics and shit. But she's a really sweet person. I love her to death. Yeah. That was, uh, you got a little fucked what, up, buddy. That's what happens in Vegas. You gotta eat. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah. This yeah. whole idea of like fasting, that's out the window as soon as you start boozing. You gotta let yep. that go. Because yep. like booze is calories, so you're definitely eating something, but you're eating something that says zero nutrition. But you don't realize it because you think eventually I'm sure I'll get some food. But then what alcohol does is it becomes a slippery slope to where you no longer remember food or any of that. You just enjoy enjoy the fuck the, the full experience. Yeah. It, just like the the conversations yeah. with different people along the way. We're plus fun. it's Vegas. It's, yeah, we were having a good time. Yeah. We did a little gambling. Uh, the wife and I lost some money playing blackjack. And I'm not good at I that. I don't know why you thought it was <laughs> is anyone really good in the end? Dana White. He's so good they kick him out of casinos. Blackjack? Yeah, they've, they <laughs> listen to this story. He was, uh, this was back when it was the Palms. It's not the Palms anymore. It's something else. The Sands now. Um, he won so much money. I, I think the most he's ever won in a night is $7 million. And uh, yeah, exactly. The most he ever lost in a night is a million. So he's, because he, like he's really wealthy. So for him to feel it, to get that charge, he's got to be betting big money. So he won so much money, they told him he's banned from the casino. And he said, oh, really? Well, guess what else is banned? And he pulled the UFC out of the Palms. So the UFC, we used to do the Ultimate Fighter and some of the smaller shows we do at the Palms. And he pulled it from the Palms. And, and then it became like a fucking big to-do. Because they they told him he can't gamble there, and he's like, "Oh, guess what else? I can't do here. I can't have fights here. You fucking idiots!" I, I didn't know a casino could do that. To say they that are allowed to do that, yeah, for no reason other than you're too good at gambling, huh. so you win money. And he's not counting cards. Like Dana White is not a mathematical genius. He's just yeah. a wild fucking dude who likes to gamble. He basically probably just keeps increasing the like the the amount of money he's taking. I don't know. And just walks away when it's a big big win. I'm, so I know like, so little about that kind of gambling, like Vegas gambling. I've been to Vegas so many times. I've gambled, like I said, I gambled with my wife when yeah. you were hammered doing push-ups with David Goggins. Yeah, she and I were playing a little what, why'd you blackjack. Call, what, why'd you call David Goggins? Because I love him. Yeah. I want to see him. He's in town. All right. I didn't call him to embarrass you. Okay, it's just natural. No, no listen, I call him when I'm around him. So I, I say, "What are you doing? You know, yeah. come meet us." Because yeah. he was in town, and you know, I yeah, love that guy. Every time yeah, I get I a chance to be. Around Goggins, I'm around him. And his, so, his wife. She's great, too. I mean, the thing I remember about that night is, like, wives or the significant others are, like, um, I don't know, a healthy relationship is really awesome. A healthy out, relationship. brings out the best in you. Yes. Yes. That's possible. This is the push-up contest oh, you guys God. had. <laughs> and this guy just joined in this guy joined in this guy next to us there was a lot of people and you're saying get your full fucking body down you're cheating <laughs> <laughs> you're hammered you tell me you're cheating <laughs> oh boy so I, I called Goggins just to say hi yeah just cause uh, I always tell him I always call him when I'm in town yeah I, I, I went I went back to Vegas you, you go for UFC right yeah 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 and, and shows and stuff like that but yeah they're so I love the darkness of that place I, I went there recently just walked around the strip, just the characters that are there. Um, it's a wild place. I, I got to hang out. Um, do you know Imagine Dragons, the band? 
There's a yeah. guy, uh, lead singer Dan uh, Reynolds. I got, hung out with him. He's a he grew up Mormon, and I think there's a, a lot of um, that kind of community uh, around Vegas. Mm. And it's so interesting that Vegas, with the darkness that's in the middle, uh, like in the Strip, around there's there's like a normal city. Yeah. And, and well, if you go to like Henderson, super normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's and like he, there's a lot of places outside of Vegas that like kind of rely on the tourism and all the jazz for, but they're really normal. Yeah, and the, the so Dan, I don't know. I've you've uh, you talked to Black Keys recently. I I don't get a chance to interact with many musicians, but that like a s- super famous person, obviously, but super normal. It's so ex- exciting and refreshing yeah. to see when people are like. I don't know at the top of the world, and they're just normal. And they there's they're, a lot they're kind, of them out there. They're sweet, and he has he's suffered. He's been open about it, but from with depression and stuff like that. So I think uh, psychological struggle is something struggle of any kind, but like deep psychological struggle really humbles you. No matter what, you like get to appreciate every single day. Yeah, and that fame doesn't matter. It's just being alive, being like close to the people you love and all that kind of stuff. You start to realize that's what matters. Well, me and my wife have been having these conversations recently about people that we know now because there's like a level of fame you get where other famous people reach out to you and you go <laughs> hang out with them. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> that's funny. why is it funny? It's just, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a funny, almost like a blue check mark, but for fame. Yeah. 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 No, it's real. Like I get people reach out to me. Like, You're hey, famous too now. We, we should talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they know that I'm going to just be a person around them. Right. And also, if they're fans of the podcast, they know that I am just a person. Yeah. I, I, you can't hide three hours a day for thousands of episodes. Mm-hmm. I think everybody listening to this podcast knows me as well as probably anybody in my life other than my wife. So it's you get to get an understanding of that person. Then you go, you know what? I think I can hang out with them and it would be normal. Whereas like a regular person... Would be like, oh my God, Matthew McConaughey, I loved you in Interstellar. You're so amazing. Can I get a selfie? Could you like, I become friends with Matthew McConaughey, and had dinner with his family, and we we went to the soccer game the other day. He's a beautiful person, sweetheart of a guy, super normal, like movie star, Oscar winner, greatest guy, so normal, like normal, like you hang out right. with him. He and I just chill, we talk, like it's just a guy, you know. But he's a movie star. But he needs someone around him who can also just be normal. And I think most people are just so, like you were with Bobby Lee or you were with me when you first met me. Mm-hmm. Or I was with Anthony Bourdain. When I first met Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. I was such a fucking dork because I was, I couldn't believe it was him. Yeah. Like, I'm hanging out with him. And he knows who I am and he likes me. <gasps> you know, and then he came to see my show. And I'm like, oh, <gasps> and he told me how funny I was. I'm like, ah, this is crazy. This can't be real. Yeah. But how, how, how long did it take you for... To lose that with Anthony Bourdain. Took a few a few hangs. Okay. We had to hang a few times. Okay. It's just, it was odd. Yeah, I ad- deeply admired him while he was alive. I love his thought process and the way he, you know, he wrote all of the narration of No Reservations and then of Parts Unknown. He wrote all that. And there's he's a brilliant writer on top of being like this uh, amazing just thinker. Like he's, he's capable of, he was capable of, putting that down in a way where the way he flavored these conversations was like the way a great chef would flavor a great meal. It's like there was yeah. something to it that was, I, I really admired his 
his appreciation of creativity and of rebellion and of art and and someone who's really good. He was like he wrote in his Twitter bio, it just said enthusiast. That's who what he was, you know. He was just like so it took a while for me to hang with him, you know, but fortunately I got to hang with him quite often, you know, and maybe not often enough. There was like yeah, you know, I just get fucking sad about that one. That yeah. one's a hard one. That one's a hard one for me because that's a waste. That's just so unnecessary. It's like you, you, you hit a low point and you pulled the chute, and the world suffered because of that. And his family suffered, and his daughter suffered. And it's like fuck, man. I know that those feelings are there, but you can fight those off, and there will be a better day. This too will pass, and you, there'll be a better day. And the thing that helps you in those better days are friends. And I don't think I was quite quite close enough to him for him to reach out. But if he did, I think I could have helped. Because I've had a lot of experience with crazy women in my life. I've had a lot of experience with what he was going through. And sometimes you need a, a guy to go, hey, man, I'll tell you fucking exactly what's going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of these people out there in the world. And they'll get close to you. And then they'll try to damage you. And they'll try to hurt you because they're hurt. Because they're, they're fucked up. And they're fucked up because someone fucked them up. And they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a fucking endless cycle. It's almost like a cycle of, you know, you hear about people that were molested and then they go on to molest other people. It's like that kind of a thing, you know. But I think it, it's probably often difficult to reach out when you're in that state. It's almost impossible. You don't, you don't first of all, you don't think that when you're struggling and you're all fucked up, you, f you feel pathetic and you feel weak. And you don't want to be a burden to others. Exactly. That's how you think yeah. about it. Well, that's him anyway. He was very, very independent anyway. But have we you ever uh, have you ever been to a dark place like that yourself? No, you never no. thought about suicide. No, no, not even like in the distance. Not even. No, no. I mean, not not in my adult life. I mean, maybe I thought about it fake when I was a kid. You know, I was like faking it, like oh, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> but it's fake. Yeah. Um, but as an adult, no. I'm I'm a I'm I've had dark moments. Obviously, I've had dark public moments, right? But I'm very aware what it is and I'm very aware that things pass and this that too shall pass you can just wait yes and not only that but there's value in those experiences and this is something that really needs to be it, it needs to be addressed and you need to understand it is that you will become stronger through your overcoming of these terrible moments and these terrible moments in them is an opportunity for growth and you know and also perspective wise like these terrible whatever these terrible moments are relatively speaking to like we we're talking about Yemen or we're talking about people that live in the Congo people that are in the middle of a civil war these are nothing you know and there's that old expression the worst thing that's ever happened to you is the worst thing that's ever happened to you whether it's you're a spoiled kid who doesn't get the toy that they think they deserve or whether you're a, a, a an adult who's relationship with this woman like Bourdain turned out to be insanely toxic and you're deeply embarrassed and you're going to be exposed because you paid off uh, a child that she was having sex with and you know it's going to come out because you were a, a, a vocal proponent of the Me Too movement because you thought it was a good and just thing and you're you're trying to be a good person and you know and then it's a it's a lot man it's a the whole thing was a lot but it was just when you lose a great one, and in my opinion, I mean, you've seen the, the big giant artwork I have of him around here. I, I think he was a great, a great soul, like a great creative 
innovative, fascinating person. The way he thought, the way he expressed himself. Yeah, there's certain people that are, and they're rare, it seems like. It's almost like Connor S. Thompson or somebody like that. They are able to reveal a culture of a place, like the spirit of a place when they show up. Yeah. And that means, I mean, he was, I guess, talking about food, but it was much bigger than that. It's really culture that he it's talked culture. about. The food was like a vehicle to get into the culture, you know, and he was really interested in exploring these cultures and talking to these people, and he just loved it. Like Vietnam was like one of his favorite places. He always talked about Vietnam. It like made me want to go. He just, there was so many places that he would, I mean, he was always visiting. But one of the things that really bonded us was um, while we were friends, he became addicted to jujitsu. And then, then we became like closer because then we were hanging out. He would ask me questions and I, we fucking, we were on a pheasant hunt in Montana and we we're rolling around on the ground. I'm showing the Japanese necktie to him because I'm, I'm explaining to him like, if you can't sink a darse up, I'm like, you got long arms. I'm like, you got to learn the Japanese necktie. So we're like rolling around on the fucking ground and I'm explaining the Japanese necktie to him. So I'll never forget that, it was fun. Yeah, discovering the human chest, so it, yeah. Yeah, well it's yeah. also the vulnerability that you oh, yeah. are acutely aware of. It's so honest, it's so, it's unlike anything else in terms of honesty, there's some, it's, it's like being smacked in the face over and over, just like the embarrassment of it, yeah. the um, brutality of it somehow connects you to your like animal origins, because it's the closest for most of us we'll ever get to death is being choked out. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, heel hooked or, you know, anything. Like you're going to be crippled then someone can do whatever they want to you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spiritual game. You're playing a game that doesn't just test your body. It tests your spirit. Some of my favorite people are very good at jiu-jitsu. It's because I think they learn something from that. And You, you know who just started doing jiu-jitsu? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, I told him he should come down to Austin and roll. Roll. I, I told him that you're a bit injured. But I'll roll with him. I don't have to be 100 Well, white belts are dangerous. <laughs> are they really? <laughs> well, white belts in general, they get very excited. Yeah. Especially you roll with Joe Rogan or somebody like that or with me. Yeah. You get very excited. But <laughs> Well, he did. He went on a period of time for like a whole year where he killed his food. Everything he ate, he killed. Did you know about that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mike, he had chickens and uh, I think he did a little bit of hunting. He went for a period of, I think, believe he made a, a, a goal of for one year, all the, the meat that he ate was something that he killed. Yeah, actually, I mean, he did extreme sports and so on. I got a chance to meet him and talk with him and hang out with him and talk with him a lot after. Uh, he seemed like a normal person. Well, you know, you can only be I, so normal if you're running Facebook. Right. But, I, but as far well, as being a normal person in that context, I bet. Well, no, I've interacted with a lot of tech leaders, and a lot of them are not quite normal. <laughs> That's a political way of, of phrasing it. <clears throat> yeah. I, I just felt that uh, the human being is um, compassionate. Like, the way, you know, this, this, it's the small things, it's the details. Mm -hmm. Now, the way he's presented is robotic, but the way he pays attention to people and um, people that work with him, for him, just small details, the kindness he has. It's interesting. I mean, I, I was I didn't expect that because uh, the public paints him as a kind of maybe um, not necessarily a monster, but somebody who's almost like a sociopath or something like that. Who's yeah. Not able to feel other beings. And uh. he did not. That's not how he came off. Now, what that shows to me is, you know, 
Facebook is a machine, and perhaps the leaders of the machine don't necessarily have um, power to control the machine always. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that how shows. How much to power me. do you have? I mean, how much can you have? I, you have how many imp- hundreds of thousands of employees worldwide? Well, I think it actually has to do with how much power you want to take. Mm. Which is like there's certain leaders like uh, like Elon or uh, Steve Jobs that I think um, like to be in control, and they like to make big decisions and revolutionary decisions, saying no, 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 the way we've been doing things, let's change completely, let's change the direction of the company completely. His uh, bid for Twitter, you know, having the sort of the character and the guts to go in and say we're going to change the way things are done completely that's yeah. a very that's a current that's a certain kind of personality i think those are the kind of personalities that lead to the creation of great businesses that lead to the pivoting of um businesses that are becoming stale into becoming great businesses again so i i, I think that we admire those people but they have also sort of downsides of you know, yelling and being passionate and being, yeah. you know, anger issues, all those kinds of things. If you're polite, that's a difficult thing. You know, how, how much politeness, kindness, and compassion do you want in a leader of a company? Because if you're too polite, you're going to have corporate structure that's going to just become stale. There's going to be momentum. You know, you see that in Silicon Valley with a bit too much wokeism taking over. Well, have you seen some of those Project Veritas videos of the people that work at Twitter that were secretly filmed discussing what it's like there? Yeah, I mean, obviously they. It's yeah. They, yes, I know, but that's, but what you just did is yeah. This is, that's the problem I have with all of it. Well, uh, with yeah. all of it on all sides, though. Yeah, but I mean, with all of it, like these people being interviewed, like without their knowledge. Yeah, they think they're on dates. Right. You know? Well, this this <clears throat> okay. drinking. Stupid shit gets said, and then you know he he confronts them at a restaurant. I think that's unfair, and it's clickbait, and so on. But it's also representative of a culture, and it's also an expose of a culture that has immense power. And so, if you can get these rare windows into how it actually functions, that might be the only way to do it: is to get these people in these intimate moments where they're candid, where they don't know that they're being recorded. And they say things, and you get an understanding of the fact that you could just take time off whenever you don't feel well m- mentally. You could take a week off, you could take a month off, no one cares. And that the entire operation is essentially they, they think that they're communists and that they think that you know capitalism is inherently bad and that these are the people that are running the discourse of the biggest social media site in terms of the ability to disseminate information the world's ever known. And it's not necessarily what they believe. What bothers me the most is the arrogance that they can know the truth, right. or they can know what is and isn't misinformation. Uh, I, I think it's okay to be um, to be whatever a capitalist or a communist, as long as you have a deep humility about your understanding of the world, and you're not trying to enforce those ideals on other people. Yeah. You might bring them up as part of a conversation, yeah, but like you know, you have a sense that you might be very wrong. And that's the kind of humility you have to bring to the table. And then that's where you have to have actual diversity of ideas at the table. And yes. that's why I think Elon is a really good pushback at Twitter against the sort of woke culture, corporate culture that yes. emerged in Silicon Valley. Um, that's why it's, it's I, 
I admire the man for doing that. I think he brought onto himself a lot of political division that naturally and hate that comes with the political division, yeah. saying he's not going to vote Democrat anymore. Yeah. You just entered the political domain. Well, he's openly stated he's going to vote Republican too. It's not Republican. like he said I'm I'm, gonna, I'm a libertarian from here on out. Right. So I'm throwing my vote away essentially. He he not said really, but kind of vote. <laughs> now you're pissing off Dave Smith. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think he's running for office actually under the libertarian. Davis, uh, where? Yeah. Uh, no, for like for president. Dave. Yes. Yeah, when the comedian? Twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Is and, he for sure? I didn't so, know he announced. No, I don't. Oh, I don't know if he's announced, but he's flirting with the announcement. I mean, the, he knows a lot. Very, very intelligent. I think, think self admittedly, he says he doesn't care about winning, which is exactly the kind of people that should probably run or or yeah. actually win. But you uh, need very unique human beings to take on any of those jobs and do it in a compassionate, humanitarian, like beneficial way for the society at large, because it's going to be. At a detriment to you, and I think part of the problem with politicians, as we know them, is that they do things for the benefit of themselves, that are ultimately at a detriment for their constituents, because they're doing things and they get corrupted by money. Like money comes in, and you know they start, you know, um, moving in this way or that way, depending upon their relationships and this sort of. And money is delicious, yeah. power is delicious, and then and then there's assholes that start criticizing in the press, and you want to suppress them, mm -hmm. and then you get uh, you get uh, Navalny. I think yesterday just got nine prison, uh, nine years in prison. Navalny, you know, in Russia, yeah, probably the second most popular political figure in Russia. Behind what did Putin. he do? What was uh, his? Uh... So I mean. Obviously, there's several narratives here. Yeah, <laughs> the so Navalny is a critic, outspoken, extremely popular critic of Putin and the Putin regime. I think what he's in prison for is some kind of uh, fraud, some kind of um, I even fact checking me on this is very difficult right. to, to figure out <laughs> like who's. But I think the official thing is there's some kind of movement of money that was that did not follow law. Us, you know, I, I don't know the exact details. Uh, Navalny was already serving a jail term. He addressed the court. The point is, they're not going to tell you here. You're not going to get clear articles on either side. Most of the Western press are going to tell you it's all bullshit. But there might be some truth of the fraud, but it doesn't matter. Obviously, he does not deserve any of this. Um, he's most people believed he would actually die, be murdered, you know, suicided, mm. uh, like our good friend Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> you're a good friend, sorry. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I no, had an I, opportunity to meet that guy once. You did? Yeah. Yeah, somebody invited me to go to lunch with him. So what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, you did you didn't get you didn't actually go? No. Okay. This was after he'd been arrested. Oh, Before he'd right. been arrested the second time, but after he'd been arrested the first time. Yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of people did. Yeah. He's had he had parties at his house where like yeah. Celebrities went and yeah. scientists went, and this is post being arrested. Post, you know, he had like some sort of a weird jail sentence where he's house arrest. And I've I've gotten, <clears> a, you know, I've gotten a, a bunch of invites to parties yeah. over, over the past few months, and I've gotten a chance to meet like rich people. I'm very suspicious of you should these be. people. You should be. I'm. I don't know if the weird people become rich. 
or does wealth make you weird? I don't know if there's a, a there's a weirdness. There's a there's something. There's like your basic calculus of morals seems to become corrupted over time, and not necessarily in an evil direction, in a weird direction. All kinds of weird. Eyes wide shut type shit. Yeah, like, (laughs) why don't we all wear masks and go naked? (laughs) What's, you know, it's like that kind of stuff, and it it makes me, it it make, I mean, it makes me feel like I'm not on sturdy ground in terms of what is good, um, and what is evil. Like, I mean, the same thing with um, with Ukraine and Russia. Just I've been getting so much information from so many people that is so heartfelt both actual journalistic information and spoken information from people. The same thing like uh, racism in America, right? You have the BLM movement, you have African-American people of, on Clubhouse or wherever I get a chance to speak with them. There's a particular message. Like there's significant institutional racism in America. And then you listen to like Douglas Murray or whoever and saying, no, let's look at the data. Like you have to be very rigorous and... Um, and uh, analytical about this and there's not institutional racism or something like that and you listen to both of these like groups that are very passionate about this um, and you don't know exactly what the truth is you have to kind of think you have to keep an open mind have a humility read try to control your emotions all that kind of stuff i'm trying to do that with uh ukraine and russia and china and india and and, and western press and i'm trying to do that with these weird elites who are like uh you know that I'm not exactly sure. Like, I'm I'm really afraid of becoming corrupted, either by fame or money, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. Did, that does that naturally happen to people? Do you become weird? Because that, I still like, hang out with comedians, man. Yeah, I think comedians are. I well, hang out with comedians and fighters. I mean, that's most of my friends. I have a few bow hunter friends. Yeah. Comedians, martial artists. That's just I find them to be of the most the most inquisitive people. The people of the best character. I like them. They're real. I wouldn't trust Tim Dillon with power or fame. <laughs> I'm trying to make him president. <laughs> yeah. You do realize once you do, he'll turn on you. I don't care. And destroy everything you stand it's for. It's okay. Good All luck. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you're saying about the elites, and I think it's uh, part of it is there's a thrill about being able to do things that other people can't do. Yeah. Like there's a thrill about – like one of the things you hear – about like uh, elites is that like sometimes they'll have these parties and then the uh, the help will be the ones who talk about it like the people that are the caterers or the people that are the maids and it's like the arrogance to be naked with a crow mask on wandering around the maid like what is that well it's like part of what they want is they want someone who's not them to observe how much freedom they have yeah. and how the rules don't apply to them. Yeah. There's like something they want. I think that's like why people like to take photos in front of private jets. It's like, I'm not, I'm not doing what you're doing. I'm doing something different. Look at me. Look at me here with my Gucci bag and my fur coat about to step on a fucking giant jet. And if you cross, to- if you break like moral rules... That's exciting because look at you all suckers following your morality. We can break that. And then we break legal rules. Like, uh, I mean, that's what probably Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell got off on. It's like, we don't have to follow society's rules. Fuck them. Or they were intelligence and they subverted, they, they, they attracted that aspect of these people. You know, Eric said something to me once, Weinstein. He said, I think 
there are people that try to curate experiences for other people that are too high profile. And so the way they do that is to get comfortable with them, get them comfortable to relax their guard, and then, of course, with heterosexual men, bring them around women, with homosexual, bring them around men that are there to please them. Like, there are scenarios where people have hired people to go, like, like for instance, I know of influencer parties that they had in L.A. where they would hire hot models. They would hire them to just be friendly to everybody. You didn't have to have sex with the guests, but the idea was you would have, like, a hundred gorgeous women at this party of 500 people. And these gorgeous women were literally hired to walk around and be friendly to people, you know, and just make it so it's a, a thrilling experience to dorks. It's so weird. It's yeah, so weird. It's weird. That's why I don't talk to women. I assume they're CIA or FSB. <laughs> All of them. But, I mean, that's what Epstein did. He had a fucking island, and he would fly these beautiful... I I don't want to say like women because some of them weren't women, some of them were girls, yeah. and uh, fly them there, and he curated these experiences. And by all accounts, there was at least some connection to intelligence, whether it was foreign or domestic. There was some sort of a connection to intelligence agencies, and they used this sort of very relaxed social climate. I don't know if drugs were involved. I'm assuming alcohol was involved, and then sex was involved. And so you have? Do you lean towards believing that intelligence has um, seeks that kind of influence? A hundred percent. They always have. If no, you they, go to Operation Mockingbird, they haven't always have. They've they've had examples throughout history, but the, the question is the scale. The, the scale of their operation is the question I have. Well, wouldn't you want, if you had someone who had uh, ultimate power, like a president, right? Someone, someone that like, wouldn't you want to get a little something on them? Get a little something on them, kind of influence them one way or another? What would Me be the best personally, way? no. No, I don't mean you. But I mean, if you were in this sort of geopolitical game of, of in, look, a lot of it is about relationships and influence, right? There's decisions that can be made one way or another. And sometimes yeah. you make these decisions based on the relationships that you have, based on the influence, based on the, what the other people around you are also being influenced by these groups. Yeah. And you go in one way or another. Okay. And you can shift things so that one group of people make enormous amounts of money or one group of people, their business dies. Like you, this is all like this is a weird game of 4D chess. But how many people? That's what I ask of myself. How many people are willing to cross the line of uh, compromising others, installing shit on? There's like, plenty of people. Secret CIA files say staffers committed sex crimes involving children. What the fuck is this? Declassified CIA Inspector General reports show a pattern of abuse and a repeated decision by federal prosecutors not to hold agency personnel accountable. What is this about? So they have, and this, uh, I heard about this recently. This article came out December, so it's not new, but um, I, f I feel at like least 10 different employees is that are contractors. Committed sexual crimes <clears throat> involving children. Though most of these cases referred to U.S. attorneys for prosecution, only one of the individuals was ever charged with a crime. Prosecutors sent the rest of the cases back to the CIA to handle internally, meaning few faced any consequences beyond the, beyond the possible loss of their jobs and security clearances. 
that marks a striking deviation from how sex crimes involving children have been handled at other federal agencies such as Department of Homeland Security, the Drug Enforcement Administration, CIA insiders say the agency resists prosecutions of its staff for fear the cases will reveal state secrets. That makes sense. That said, the Catholic Church yeah. is doing a much uh, larger scale operation. Well, that, that seems to be just a function of how they operate. It, it seems so prevalent that, I mean, you know, when Pope Benedict was removed, he was being wanted by other countries for crimes against humanity. I mean, I'm, from what I understand, he's trapped in the Vatican, which is essentially its own country doesn't have extradition which is very weird because it's, it's a small country that's like a few city blocks inside of Italy yeah but there's probably a definitive power hierarchy mm -hmm. and you can control people it's basically like a nice version of the mob but it's also there's something we were talking about like uh, no disrespect no disrespect to the mob it was we were talking wait, 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 that, about to people. the Catholic Church <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about people who get molested like Boys who get molested when they're young by men oftentimes will molest other boys. Yes. This is a horrible, it's almost like, I've always thought about it, it's like, a, I wonder if it's where the concept of being a vampire comes from. Like you're stealing life. Yeah. And that you, by biting someone, you turn them into that. You know, that's almost like an analogy of that or a metaphor of that. I w you know, it's, it's a, crazy thing that it happens so often one of the things you, you hear about when men are molested when they're children that they'll go on like a lot of these guys who molest children they're molested when they were children yeah a lot of these men who go to rape boys they yeah. like these catholic priests were molested by other catholic priests and it's almost a thing that carries on abuse and trauma propagates yes. through the generations it's strange yeah yes and it's it, hard to change uh stop the cycle and there's also probably an insane amount of power psychologically that's involved in doing something to someone that was done to you when you were a boy it's fucking dark shit but when you find out the prevalence of it in the catholic church it's like holy shit Holy shit. There was one guy that uh, Pope Benedict had moved from one place to another place because that's what they would do. They would catch these guys molesting children. They move them somewhere else. And this one priest went on to molest a hundred deaf kids. They I brought mean, him to a place where the kids were deaf so they could, he could apparently do it and there would be less likelihood of them. I mean, if you went over the history of the Catholic Church from from whatever as far back as you could find what are the numbers man i mean there's is there another organization that's so inexorably tied to child molesting no. like the catholic church i mean they they're pretty open i've actually spoken to a priest recently they're pretty open the sort of acknowledging the fact that if you're somebody who's a pedophile what better way to get access to children than to become a priest so, yeah. so it's not that necessarily. I mean, that's that's their defense ab yeah. about saying like, there's, um, you know, um, the, taking the vow of celibacy is not the thing that creates pedophiles. Right. What, what creates pedophiles is that oftentimes pedophiles will 
find you know become priests just because it, so they can get access to children. Well, not just access to children, but access to children where they are the representatives of God. Yeah. So they have power over the parents. They have power over the church. It's They're, dark. It's dark, man. And another one is um, daycare. There's most daycare places are run by caring people who love children, but occasionally someone will get involved in daycare that wants to be around children to sexually abuse them. And that's what happened with Cain Velasquez with his son. I mean, this is, uh, this is just, it's not a, a blanket statement you could say about people who run daycares. It's not. But man, when it comes to Catholic Church, it's, uh, it's so prevalent and so hidden. I mean, when I was living in New Jersey when I was in the first grade, I was in uh, Catholic school. And we had heard stuff. You would hear things. You would hear something that happened to your uncle or something that happened to this boy. And something you would hear things like, stay away from this priest. Don't be alone with this guy. A friend of mine literally had to run away. He, he had some sort of a thing like a sporting event where he, had, he was in Catholic school where the priest made him stay with him in the same room. And he was literally running away from him in the room. Well, this, and he was, I think he was like preteen. I forget how old he was. But I remember him saying how terrified he was. He was running from this fucking priest that he couldn't believe it was real. And then the same thing with coaches and athletes. Yes. There's a lot of stories of that. Again, you have the power over an athlete, a young athlete, like how a teenage that, athlete. That doctor that molested all the children that the were gymnasts. Gymnasts, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't mean that. All doctors who take care of children do that. Of course not. But if you wanted access, if you had that horrible thing and you wanted access to children, what better way? And we don't often or don't talk about it enough. There's certain atrocities we don't talk about as much as others. Yeah. Well, that's one that people tell. I know people who are molested by Catholic priests where their parents told them not to tell anybody. Yeah. There's a lot of that, man. There's a lot of that. And that has to do like with the shooting we had yesterday. That's what I was wondering. So there's all this political debate about, you know, gun control and all that kind of stuff. I, I wonder how much role there is, how much responsibility there is on the press not to cover it. Like in terms of like making the person famous? Yeah. Or even that like the location or anything. <sighs> That maybe the fact that it happened is important to talk about, but I wonder what it would look like, what the world would look like, if you were if it was illegal to report on it or something like that, or or there was a culture of not reporting on it because how could that be possible? Though? I don't I don't know, uh, but because I'm just it's saying, an atrocity and, and and that needs to be taken into consideration when people th talk about gun control and they talk about psychological problems that people have, you know, d d all sorts of uh, psychological disorders that people have, medicines that people are on, you know, a lot, like there's a question of correlation versus causation, right? A lot of these people are on disassociatives or they're on psych psychotropic medicine. Like, is that causing them to be able to do that? Is it just because they're fucked up already and that's why they're on this medication? You know, there's a, if you look at the number of school shooters and mass shooters that are on psychiatric medication, it's astounding. But, I mean, it, but that's usually not talked about in those terms, right? Right. It's it's talked about sort of uh, in Buffalo. It's talked about the racial aspect of it. So it's a hate crime, right? And then here in Texas, it's talked about. I mean, they politicize it immediately about gun control. Yeah. And so, 
it seems like there's an over-the-top artificial drama conjured up by the press to get more attention versus sort of properly putting this thing in its context. And this, it, it, I think any one event deserves the press it gets, but it's worthwhile thinking about the fact that, not the fact, but I think every coverage increases the chance of it happening again. Yeah, it does. Be because it, it plants that idea into the minds of young people that this is, you know, it's it sucks being young. It sucks being human, first of all. You go, especially uh, drugs, depression, life can be a struggle. And nobody gives a fuck. You can feel like nobody gives a fuck about you. You can feel angry. You can feel lost and hopeless and all those kinds of things. And that can manifest itself in wanting to be heard by the world. Yeah. So you can understand that sort of imp imperative. And if the press tells you that this is one way to be heard, it just, uh, I think that different message is better. First of all, a message that all of us struggle, that, that life can be hard. And then the, a message of health, of sort of, uh, of this too shall pass, of uh, challenging yourself, of being optimistic about the future, of trying to grow, trying to survive, whatever the hell you're feeling going through, trying to survive that and growing from that, all of those things, as opposed to sort of like nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about you if you're struggling. Nobody cares about you if there's... Um, if you're on medication, all those kinds of things, and you get side effects that are resulting in um, all kinds of sort of mental or physical struggles. So the, I, I just feel like the press wants the drama of the shooting. They're hungry for that drama. Yeah. I see that with Ukraine. And what worries me about Ukraine as well is that the press will move on from the war in Ukraine. And then the war will still be going on, and they will no longer care. And there was just a temporary moment of time where it could be used uh, between the Johnny Depp trial and the Will Smith slap to get the world's attention. And this, the suffering, the humanitarian crisis will continue, as it does in Yemen and, and Syria. Mm. There's something seems to be broken about that kind of uh, mechanism of jumping from point to point to point, and nobody's talking about the nuclear war. What is the, like, when you're dealing with a school shooter type situation... Like, what is the alternative? Like, how else would you address it? You you know, we want to find out what's wrong with this kid, right? He's dead, so you can't interview him. It's like, what caused it? Will we get an understanding of it? Do you hold the parents responsible? Like, what if you find out the parents were horribly abusive? Or what if you find out this is the product of schizophrenia, uh, uh, bullying in school? Like, what, what do you, like, how does one address it? I wrote this thing once that I said this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And that's what it is. It's yeah. the, there's, there's so many guns. There's more guns than there are people. It's not a, I don't think it's a gun situation. And I don't think you can change the fact that there's, and I don't think it's wise to take the guns away from the people and leave all the power to the government. We see how they are even with an armed populace. They still have a tendency towards totalitarianism. And the more increased power and control you have over people, the easier it is for them 
to do what they do. And there's a natural inclination when you are a person in power to try to hold more power and acquire more power. And it's never, there's never an inclination to give more power back to the people, to give more freedoms back to the people. Freedoms lost are rarely regained. And so the, the, the situation is, should you be able to own a gun to defend yourself if you're a law-abiding citizen and you know that the police are horribly understaffed and you know that crime and violence are real things? And I, you know, I personally know people who have been robbed. I know people who have had home invasions. I, I know people that have been in gunfights. What should we do? Should you leave these people unarmed and to be at the mercy of a criminal? Or should what, what, should, what should we do? Should we red flag any kid who writes an awful poem or draw something fucked up on his uh, notebook? Yeah, that, know, that, that discussion comes up in terms yeah. of like basically NSA-style surveillance. A anybody that posts a gun, should you be allowed to post pictures of guns? Because the kid, this particular uh, gentleman, I think on his 18th birthday, got two ARs, uh, two rifles. From his family? No, he bought it. He bought them. Uh, which is a lot of people are asking. I was vaguely paying attention to the details, but you're talking about... So for ammunition, is pretty expensive. And so he got he somehow was able to afford two rifles and ammunition. There's complexities around that. But like, there's a lot of people saying, well, you should red flag it if it's... Uh, if you post pictures of guns or have any kind of the symptoms of all, of somebody that might be able to commit this kind of crime, but that's that's pushing surveillance. Well, what about people that are just gun enthusiasts? Right, you know, that people that love handguns the way some people love watches. You yeah. know, there's there's people that are enthusiasts of you know, gun engineering. Yeah, and yeah. that's most of them. Yeah, that's most gun. The owners. vast majority of them. So it's much more a mental health problem, and it's also in the full context of things and this is a tragedy but it's there's also an element to this that it's a tragedy the way a hurricane is a tragedy that there is cruel things happen in this world there is this tragic unexpected dark things happen in this world and it's dangerous to generalize from those problems into something like what i hear about there's a race war or there's a gun control problem as people sort of leverage these tragedies to make some kind of political statement, yeah. some kind of societal statement, versus dark, evil shit happens in this world. I think also people try to formulate solutions to problems as if these problems have a limited amount of variables. Like if you have 100 people and you have a gun violence problem versus 330 million people that have all sorts of problems, all sorts of issues with their past, psychology and fucking abuse and trauma, medicine and psychoactive drugs and psychiatric disorders and... I think you just described Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> all, all in one list. No, because I didn't leave in lying. Lying. Yeah. What do you think is lying? She's then? lying, for sure. She's lying up a storm. If you you can't tell that, you've never been around a liar. Yeah, no, she's, she's... She's a manipulative liar who's beautiful. She has a beautiful face, and that's a real problem. She's not very good at lying, though. Terrible at it. <laughs> it's amazing she made a career as an actress. She's awful at it. But I also think that she realizes the jig is up. I mean, she's on the world stage looking like a fucking buffoon. And I don't think a person like that has the discipline to not read the comments. 
Like right. in that case, I tell people never read the comments. In her case, you might want to read the fucking comments. Because there's well, what no- do you do? You got to stick with the story. You can't. It's over. It's over. She's in the middle of chaos right now, and she knows it. It's all over. There's. It's never going to be the same again. No one's going to ever look at her the same way again. If she had never taken that stand, if she had publicly apologized, if she had done something to get out of it, if she had not pursued it, if she had not like written that op-ed, which, by the way, she didn't even write for the Washington Post. She had the ACLU ghostwriter for her. It was part of the deal where she's going to give them $3.5 million, which she never gave them. That if she had just done that, she would have been like so many other actresses and actors in Hollywood. They're fucking sociopaths. There's a lot of them. They're broken, narcissistic weirdos <laughs> that pretend for a living. And in her case, she happens to also have this uh, spectacularly beautiful face. And she's uh, irresistible to a lot of men. And so there's a power in that, you know? It's like there's that expression, beauty is a short-lived tyranny. You know, there's a, the amount of... That's a good line. It's a great line. I wish it... Who wrote that? Let's find out who wrote that. Beauty is a short-lived tyranny. Um, but that's what it is, man. On the self and on others. Yeah. And she's a famous actress and she is wealthy. I mean, she has a lot of power. And the power that she has over men and the, just the, her ability to manipulate. Like, you listen to those conversations that she had with Johnny. With the, First of all, how bad's that relationship? They're both secretly recording each other? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? And they've convinced each other it's a good idea. <laughs> no, it wasn't secret. I think it was... I think it was Socrates that said this. Oh, did he really? Yeah. yeah Socrates is a bad motherfucker. You think about how long ago that guy lived and how yeah, many... He's an ugly dude, too. So, like, that's, <laughs> that's what it takes to come up with that kind of quote. All they had of him was drawings. Maybe they weren't accurate. <laughs> I think they were recording each other uh, to help the relationship to understand because the claim was that he was too drunk or drugged out all the time so he wouldn't remember the, the different things. So, But it just shows you how in a relationship crazy can become normal and it can drift. That's that's the dark side of love. Dear it's really. also you're doing mason jars filled with Coke. Just Mega of pint that. of wine. One of my favorite... <laughs> mega pint yeah there's a lot there's a lot to that relationship but it's also it's an insight into fame you know in, a, in actors in a way that we never really had before well johnny depp is is the really really famous one yeah. it makes you wonder and he's he was famous for many many years but he said uh, he said the pirates of the caribbean was when he really got famous oh yeah and I You're wonder what can you become? Can you be a normal person through that? Johnny is a very nice guy. I know him, and I communicate with him. I text message him. I've called him. He's good friends with Doug Stanhope. I had a long conversation with him on the phone. Seems like a really nice guy. And Doug is a very good judge of character, and Doug loves him. Um, I think you could be as normal as you can, but you're not. It's like I, I always liken it to when you there's a like if you're gonna create concrete. You need a lot of ingredients, and they have to be in a very specific quantity. Like you have a specific amount of water, a specific amount of sand and gravel and all that shit that's involved in concrete. But if one of those is off, what if you don't have enough water, Lex? It still looks like concrete, doesn't it? Kind of does, but yeah. it doesn't have the structure. doesn't have the rigidity. doesn't last. This is such a, like a Boston metaphor for the human mind. Listen, the human mind is not concrete. Yeah, for sure. It's not a human mind. I mean, I'm just talking about the development of a life. Of a life. You but need the, the human mind is fundamental to the because yeah. there's so many. Listen, clearly Johnny Depp is not a normal human. No, just the wit 
the darkness. Mm -hmm. Also, I think he can hold his liquor better than anybody I, I've ever. <laughs> I mean, from it just seems like he consumes a very large amounts of alcohol yes. and drugs, and is able to behave normally. Yeah, and I mean, there is a Hunter S. Like Hunter S. Thompson quality from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, like the character, the fictional character, not the real character. Yeah, it's you know, it's like. I mean, there is like fiction imitates life. There, there is an element to where I wonder to what degree he started becoming that. I bet Having, a lot of it was hanging around with Hunter. I mean, he was really good friends with Hunter for a long just time. Planted a seed. You know, he spent millions of dollars to fulfill Hunter's dying wish of being yeah, launched into space yeah. or launched into the air, have his ashes blown out of a cannon awesome. that had the gonzo fist, the two thumbed fist. Yeah. Holding a masculine tab in the, the center. Only, of it. It's the only way to go. <laughs> do you think do you think he wins this? Yes. I think unquestionably. He's already won. No public opinion. Yeah. But do you the think court he, of public opinion, he wins. But do you he, think he wins like Mike Tyson in the eighties. I like how I'm asking you like you're a legal expert. You think I am basically <laughs> I've watched a lot of this. I've watched so many episodes of Judge I Judy. listen to it like oh okay. <laughs> I listen to it like it's a podcast, and I get annoyed. Yeah. Like I get annoyed at ads during podcasts. Yes, I I get annoyed when they get like interrupt. Um, you know, they have to address the judge or whatever. So yes. I have to like skip. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I I have never seen. I'm not the I'm not the kind of person that likes like celebrity drama or something like that. The reason I really enjoy this is because it's raw Damn. presentation of of two humans. I I realize we don't get to see that. It's that, but it's also someone's lying, yeah. and they're being cross-examined. They get busted all the time. You can only do that so. I mean, she's created a fake narrative. You know, the the whole "I pledged the money." <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems. That's one of them. The the other thing I realized, because I'm a fan of psychiatry, is just competence of two um, two professional positions. One is lawyers. It seems like Johnny Depp's lawyers are really good. Yes, and I wonder if they cost a lot more. Like, would you, do, you get, do you have to pay a lot more for that kind of quality? I don't know. That Camille Vasquez, the the main woman who yeah. was interrogated, that lady's a gangster. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's I hope Johnny and her fall in love. Yeah, that's what I hope. Yeah. I hope after this trial's over, they go out to dinner and he thanks her, and then they fall in love and he gets sober. Look at you, you're such they, a sweetheart, romantic. Yes. Yeah, I think she loves him. I think she loves him, and I think she hates Amber because Amber hurt him. Someone. Maybe oh, she's yeah. married. Maybe she's, she's married. Someone asked her that, and she laughed. She's dating someone from Britain or something like that. Oh, well, fuck that oh, yeah, guy. Yeah, for, yeah. He doesn't have a chance against Johnny Depp. Jesus Johnny Christ. Depp, yeah, Step aside, sir. Whoever you are. That guy's got a real accent. Fuck him and his <laughs> accent. There's other fish in the sea, sir. Move along. This is greater than you. <laughs> uh, this is bigger than you, sir. Yeah. And then the psychiatrist, too. There's that. I don't remember his name. The crazy guy? The crazy guy. They said oh, he I analyzed really him that. based on his character, Jack Sparrow. Yeah. And then they said, well, what about the Willy Wonka character? And he's like, do I have to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy so weird much. He, he seems so crazy. I and then I hope that Johnny Depp like plays him in a movie because <laughs> he feels like he was a uh, somebody wrote in the comments that he feels like a like somebody who like a patient who escaped from an insane asylum yeah. and is pretending to be a psychiatrist. That's exactly. <laughs> what, <laughs> well, that's probably all she can afford. That's I'm, true. You money, know, money does matter. How much? Fuck you can yeah, her. Fucking lawyers are terrible. Yeah. She probably found them on Craigslist. They don't make any sense. Their questions are terrible. They're yeah. so ill prepared. But also, what are they dealing with? 
Like, what are they dealing with? They're yeah. dealing with someone who's a clear sociopath, a clear liar. The way she address, the way she like turns, like she a answers the question, looks at the jury, and answers yeah. them, like she's p doing a little show for them. Like, she's nuts. Well, also to be fair to this whole trial, I don't know how much they're aware about public opinion, but this being televised, it's almost unfair to to the tr to the judicial process because. I feel like the lawyers aren't as terrible as they look. They're probably just following the game of how like trials usually are, but they just sound disingenuous. She sounds disingenuous. She sounds like she's lying. Maybe to the jury it doesn't, but to us observing from the outside, it just looks terrible. I think and it does to anybody who pays attention. The jury too, you think? Yes. Unless they're, first of all, here's the problem with the jury. They're too dumb to get out of jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true American. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But here's the problem. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they're doing. You know, you could be anybody. It's Virginia. You might get a jury filled with brilliant, sensitive, compassionate, kind, caring, intelligent, objective people who really want justice to be served. Or you might have nutty people. You know, you might, uh, who knows? Who knows how they chose the jury? You know, I mean, look at the jury that convicted or that uh, exonerated O.J. Simpson. That's wild. The fact that 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 they they looked at that case and said not guilty, like that is wild, right? So that's real. That's a jury. That's the problem with the jury. It's like you're getting judged by people, and like, how much do those twelve people actually know about what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's like judges for UFC fight. <laughs> the... <laughs> but actually, no, that's not true at all. They're more well, competent, hopefully. Yeah. At least they'd gone through some sort of regulatory process. Here, it's supposed to be a sampling of the regular population of the yeah. United States. Right. So you don't know if there's bias against against a woman or against a man. Right. You don't know if... Um, and these are famous people, so you might... If, what if you don't like their movies? Or what if you love their movies? Right. Um, yeah. Like th This would actually... Um, somebody talked to Doug Douglas Murray thinks... He thinks that there's no way, like Johnny Depp is winning for sure because famous people always get away with shit. The more famous you are, the more you get away with shit. Do you think Alec Baldwin would get away with that? Do you think if Alec Baldwin got tried for the accidental shooting of the, those two people on the set that he would get exonerated so. by a jury? Right. I don't think so. I, th I think Douglas Murray's theory is wrong. I, think, I don't think that theory is good at all. Yeah. I think the O.J. Simpson case is an unusual case because it was right after... That extremely high-profile case, uh, what the fuck's his name? The guy who got beat up by the cops when they exonerated the cops. Um, do you know the Los Angeles case that started the riots? Rodney King, thank you. When the Rodney King video got released and those cops were beating Rodney King with batons and everybody saw it. And then those cops got released. There was riots. Everybody was furious. The O.J. Simpson trial happened right after that, and a lot of people felt like that was some sort of a payback. Like, you know, here's an African-American representative, and if we make him not guilty, somehow or another we get that back. And I actually saw people say that. There was a friend of mine who went on stage, and he was talking. Uh, during the whole thing and he was saying that he didn't believe that OJ Simpson was guilty because he's black Right, and he's he's black. He said I'm black. I don't believe he's guilty because I'm black Right, and he was saying that like openly and some people were clapping 
I was like, whoa, this is heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So slavery, Joe Rogan. So there's sure. a, there's a balance to well, this. Well, that's a different time, but yes. Yeah. All right. Not well, like a guy who killed a waiter and his wife with a fucking butcher knife. Allegedly. And then was like, I don't know what happened. I went to Vancouver and then I heard the news and I was shocked. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Twitter world. It's yours truly. <laughs> I still think you should be on this very podcast. OJ? Yeah. Really? Should I have him on? Yeah, you should have him on for sure. Yeah, I should get him a little liquored up. Yeah. Get loose talk. You know, I have a yeah. copy of his book. If I did it, if that I one? did it, yeah, I have a copy of that. You should do the Signed. podcast saying, okay, let's pretend you did it. Mm-hmm. Now tell me all the details. If you did it, yeah. how you would have done it? What's well, in the book? It's in. Uh, that's how yeah. it actually does. I it. never read the book. Somebody gave it to me as a goof, and I was like, "What the fuck are you giving me, man?" Yeah, I don't know if anyone read the book, but that's how you should do the conversation. Some, I mean, they wrote it. Somebody had to like. Somebody had to go over it, right? Yeah, I mean, how do you talk to somebody who committed a crime? That's a good question. How do you talk to someone who committed? Have you ever like, had somebody murder? like a horrific murder type of person, like a mass? You have never done that in the podcast, right? I interviewed someone who is in jail now. Uh, this guy, War Machine. Right. He beat his girlfriend almost to death, and then I think he was like going to get a knife or something like that, and she escaped. And he's in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I interviewed him. And she was actually in the green room waiting. This is before this happened, obviously. Yeah. So that was the most, in terms of like meeting someone and talking to them and them committing a horrific crime afterwards. But I feel like it's not your style, like, just put it on the table, Putin. No. Dude, I didn't even want to interview Trump. Right. So if there's any kind of dark shit, that you know you won't be able to really get to the core of with the person. You're not interested in talking to them. I wouldn't be interested in talking to him regular. So I wouldn't be interested in talking to him yeah. and broadcasting it. I don't want to be around that. I know Wait, it you don't want to talk to Dark, like, uh, would you talk? Like, uh, like murderers? Yeah, murderers. I've or... had opportunities to talk to people. Who've no, but like people. privately, just to understand, like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, what is up with your mind? Who are you as a human being? How much are you going to get into that? And how much are you going to get out of that? And how much are you going to carry that with you as you walk away? Well, that, the last question is the important one. How yeah. much is that going to change you? How much of a burden is that? But I feel like you'll learn a lot about yourself, about people, about what's possible. I feel like it's really powerful to learn that there's murderers that are have certain normal human characteristics they're just well, they're humans they're humans and like realizing that they're humans they're capable of this maybe they're sociopaths or psychopaths you'll detect those things maybe not you know well, not all murderers are going to be psychopaths well you wanted to interview putin and you were going to be able to do it in russian which was much different than any way i would be able to interview him like the richness of the russian language and your understanding of the russian language you'd be able to interview him in a way that a person like myself would never really be able to talk to him. Yeah, which a lot, which gives, which is the reason I was interested in it because I, I would be able to bring the full perspective of the intelligence, the nuance of that human being, no matter what evils they have done. I mean, I think it's important to. I mean, I would interview Hitler in 1941 and 42. Yeah, I would in 45. I would interview Hitler. That's really important to understand. I mean, people like to paint those people as 
as bad in a way how that is somehow distinct from anything we are like it's another creature no it's it, it's a human being and you too are capable of that if you're given power a lot of us will become corrupted especially over time and our angers our resentment builds over time and if you get away with a certain amount of things like killing your political enemies you're doing it over a period of time and you exist in a world where that's commonplace right yeah I mean, and then KGB. propaganda. Yeah. So propag the the interesting thing about propaganda, it's not only a tool to convince the populace of something. You start to believe it yourself. Which yeah. It's it's. I mean, most of what most of the propaganda machine of Hitler, he st he started to believe. There's no evidence he didn't believe everything about Jews. Everything about uh, the German superiority over the Slavic people. Just you know the 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 thing we think of as hateful, and and idiotic, he truly believed that he is actually spreading the pure, the strong people across the world. Well, That's going also, to make a better world in his view. You also have to take into consideration he was on heavy amphetamines, which severely distort your ability to make rational decisions. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that video of him at the Munich Olympics in 1936, yes. just rocking back and forth, cracked out of his mind. Yeah, the video, there's right? actually yes. There's a there's Video's a book called amazing. Blitz. I think that's uh, sorry. There's a the book called Blitz on this topic. Most book hit, history books on Hitler, Third Reich, and Nazi Germany actually did not know this about the math, the the, the, the drugs at all, because that that wasn't known at the time. It was assumed because it was such. How did a, they find out? I don't know. Actually, I need to. Uh, that'll be that's. I think. A bunch of documents started getting released, a bunch of confessions, all the doctors and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Because the, the propaganda was saying the drugs are evil. The Nazi regime was very much about purification in, in all forms. Healthy diet. Uh, Hitler was a vegan or vegetarian or a vegan. Vegetarian, yeah. Yeah. So One the, of the reasons why he had chronic flatulence. <laughs> Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think that probably was at the source of, the, of, of everything evil that happened in that regime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he was uh, a known <laughs> abuser of amphetamines. That was his thing, and you know a lot of a, a lot of the um, the upper echelons and the soldiers of the Third Reich used drugs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was also a part of the kamikazes. The kamikazes would they would get cracked out on meth and then fly their fucking planes into ships. It kind of makes you want to try meth. If I'm uh, being honest. I've thought that before. <laughs> I've thought that before. But there's no it's a door you open, there's no there's no closing that. that door. I don't believe that. Well if you're well off, if you believe uh, what what is it called, heart, that if you're well off in your life you can try heroin, you can try cocaine, you can try crack and if you're it, well off. So you're if you're well not off. using it as an escape, you're just using it to find out what the effects are like. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah. I'm I'm fine with coffee. <laughs> and weed. Um and, and the people that I know that try Adderall get fucking terrified by it and Adderall is a type of amphetamine that's closely related to methamphetamines it's not that far off and then the other side is pain pain medication Ooh yeah oh yeah that's a yeah. dark road to walk it's a dark road and then that that one is prescribed by doctors well Steven Tyler just had a foot operation and they put him on pain medication and he's been sober for years and he just had to check himself back into a rehab because he was getting whacked out on the pain meds so they canceled their residency in uh in, in las vegas for aerosmith 
Yeah, it's nev- you're never you're never sober. You're never you're never out. Well, the people that get really addicted, man, that's like a part of your life that just is just always in the background, always in the shadows. Well, you can you're you can be fine with a little drinky poo. Come yeah. on, like what's a little line of coke? What's a big deal? A little bump of meth, a little yeah. bump, just a little bump for pick me up. You got to clean the garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how good you were good at cleaning when you were on the meth? Just give yourself a little bump. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. I'm that way. I've n- I've never had meth. I'm that way with food, so I'll be fucked with meth. You're that way with like spaghetti. <laughs> well, like healthy carbs. See, I don't do unhealthy carbs. I'll do healthy Ever? carbs. Like what's yeah. a healthy carb? Like fruit. Oh. You get crazy with fruit, yeah, apples like and cherries bananas. and shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I've I've actually I've gained weight since Ukraine. It's just stress, and and the way I, that I take that out is I just hide from the world, uh, listen to Rise and Fall of the Third Reich or different books about the dark periods of history, and eat excessive amounts of uh, fruit, and then call relatives and listen to them cry, and then go back to eating oh, fruit. Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's great. But I, I do want to, uh, I don't want to, I'm going there. I'm traveling to Ukraine and to... When are you doing that? The next year. I shouldn't say... Soon. Uh, soon. Soon. Whew. Soon. I don't want to do like travel logistics and all that kind of stuff. Are you apprehensive about your own physical safety? Are you worried about... Yeah, uh, the thing I don't, so I'm talking to a lot of people. I know what the, the risks are involved. It's not insane, but it's it's dangerous, but it's not insane. Pelosi was just there. Just wild. I'm going to save my girl. We should show her when she was young. Yeah. Show me a young photo call back. of Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. For the record, uh, Jamie just rolled his eyes. She was back. Okay. They have photos of her with Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. That's you know what? I think I remember her being oh, hot. Yeah. No. That's yes. That is the picture I remember, and it's not kind of hot back then, kind of milfy. Well, if, yeah. If you find, I mean, if especially if you find power attractive. No, you like a lady in a suit. Yeah, but it's not. I like it more. Look at that one in the blue. Suit, yeah. The one in the blue down there with the blue background, Jamie. Yeah, click on that. That's her. Even as a freshman, Pelosi was a political insider. That, there's a little like AOC energy. The, well, the amount of <laughs> energy, the amount of energy that must be involved in that life, you know, the amount of power and influence. She got some big old mamma jammers. Look at that's, that. Book. I think that's fake. That's, Give me that's, see that. Well, is that, two other is that ones real? Right there. That's, a little that's I'm a 100%. real. <laughs> Stop it. They're real. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Look at those giant titties. <laughs> Does Nancy Pelosi have some giant, big old fakies? Uh, yeah. Are those real? This could be a series of photoshops we stumbled into, but I don't know. Or <laughs> maybe this not. This is a rabbit hole. Maybe now go per- back to those photos. Those are real, bro. Those are real cans. The go back. The cleavage. On God, those the are Congress real. Shut the fuck up. They're real. <laughs> I want to believe. I want to believe. Look at them. Giant. They're massive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's fake. The other ones? Which has got the big old fakies? Think so? Yeah, Holy no, the cleavage. Shit. What? What do you got? There's way more photos. This Show is definitely see. fake. Shut your mouth. Perfect. That's, that's real. real. Yeah. It's 100 percent real. It's like I Bill think Clinton's that's real, buddy. A, yeah, it's, I think yeah. that's real. You know what, guys? Pelosi that's cleavage. 100 percent. Dude, that's real. Yeah, it's tough. I think it's real. What are you guys talking about? Of course it's fake. 
That's Shut tough. your mouth. <laughs> Shut your damn whore mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it was like watching a porn with Pelosi's head on it. I'm pretty sure that's real. That's real. But yeah. that's that's a weird thing about deep fakes, man. Yeah. They're doing that with deep fakes. Like you can, you can see porn with Carl, Scarlett Johansson. and There's probably porn with your head on it. I'm sure there is. There is now. You like fuck. gay porn. Yeah, you've just if started. If there isn't, please, please make it. If that's always the rule of Photoshop, and DM me, and I will I will <laughs> post it everywhere. Send it to Tim Dillon. <laughs> if there's a, a photo of you, someone somewhere has photoshopped a dick in your mouth. That's yes. the golden rule yeah. of the internet. Yeah, and if you haven't, please, please. But we're going to get to a point where you're not going to have any idea whether or not it's real or not. Is it like well, that's what Elon has released um, the bots problem. Yeah. Yeah, he, he thinks it's a really important. I I think it's a, a almost unsolvable problem, but I, I I like I, I love the ambition of trying to solve that problem. But it's extremely difficult to know what's real and not. Well, what he's doing, at the very least, is he's forcing Twitter's hand yeah. to address it and expose it, and it's very likely that they've been lying. First of all, something's weird happening over at Twitter. When he said that he was going to start. When he, was gonna, when he started to this process and then uh, announced that he was making an offer for Twitter and then Twitter effect, uh, accepted his offer. Since then, I've gained 800,000 followers. It's not that long. It's very quick to gain that many. And it makes me wonder, like, was I in Twitter jail before that? Probably. I was probably in some sort of shadow ban type situation. And why am I released? Am I released because they realize that these algorithms that they're using are really fucking creepy and that they're going to be exposed and these people are going to get in trouble? So are they just like killing all this code? Yeah. This is great. This is great. That right. pressure was really, really necessary. I don't know if his ideas are, his off the top of his head ideas are good, but the point is innovation is really needed. Because that's, like, that's in Instagram too, for sure. Instagram, all, all of the, they... Listen, I've I've talked to a lot of those people and they actually mean well and they're great engineers, but they've become stale in terms of the amount of innovation they're doing and they've become arrogant and dismissive. Like they become arrogant in thinking they know what is information, what is misinformation. They've become arrogant in knowing in thinking they can know what is good and not. Yeah. And so they can um and also they become dismissive of these other conspiracy theories or uh, theorists or these other humans that are trying to manipulate our platform to do bad to the world and like that starts to fuck with your head mm. and if you just hire everybody that believes the same thing as you in a room that you can start to believe that there is this particular thing that is true about covid and everybody else is lying and not no not only are they lying but their their lies are going to have mass damage on society they're going to hurt a lot of people and that that kind of arrogance can build and build and build until you're actually just um until the algorithm that you use for your platform for both the search and discovering for the recommendation and for the feed is no longer actually a great product it's, it's no longer serving the people it's not just like it's violating freedom of speech and all those kinds of things which is very important but it's just a shitty product. Like yeah. the timeline is shitty. Yeah. It's not. Hey, some people might it might feed some kind of echo chamber thing, but it's not. It's it, like a lot of people are not going to enjoy it. A lot of us enjoy being challenged, and a lot of us enjoy being like seeing multiple opinions and growing from it and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, but you say a lot of us. Is it the majority? 
I think so. I don't know about that. And I don't, I also like, I don't know, the, the whole idea of the algorithm was to give you things that you're interested in. And unfortunately, a lot of people are interested in things that upset them. Yeah, right? in, the, in the short term, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they didn't, I don't think they created the algorithm with the intention of making people upset. Like that was that's some that's like a false narrative that I think gets tossed around about a lot, where they say that these algorithms exist to encourage engagement and encourage people to get angry. People get angry and people engage with things that they get upset by. All the algorithm does is find out what you like. If you look on my YouTube algorithm in in general, it's mostly professional pool, Muay Thai matches, muscle cars, and like food. Like that's the vast majority. I like watching people cook. I like watching billiards matches and and kickboxing and so that's like most MMA fights. That's most of my algorithm. There's not a lot I'm getting upset about. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I everybody criticizes Twitter and YouTube and so on. Try to do better because the algorithm is pretty dumb, but it's pretty effective. It's a it's a great innovation. I would say we need to have further innovative steps, but it's basically engagement. As a, as a primary signal, what are the things you lingered on the longest, you kept returning to, and also clustering, which is what are other people that like the same stuff as you also staying on, which is that's the kind of video I might recommend to you if you haven't seen it yet, because other people like you also liked that video. So there, it, yeah. it's a very simple, it's a pretty cool algorithm because it's like, hey, You've liked all of these hunting videos or these animals fighting each other videos. You might like some more of them. Right. That's a really amazing thing. That that I think that's a beautiful thing. And then everything we're focused on now is the small slice of that that's uh, unintended consequences, negative consequences. Yes, and they do suck and we need to make them better and improve them because they have m mental health consequences because the drama seems to be maximized and there's journalists that feed this algorithm, that use the ads for income, so they're going to feed the most engagement uh, maximizing thing, which turns out to be drama. Really, yeah. journalists are the biggest problem here. It's not the social media. It's, 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 not, it's not the social media algorithm, which is a platform. It's, um, it's the people that feed the drama, which is often journalists, often. I, I think. But in their defense, journalism is dying in the sense of like people paying for newspapers yeah. so they're starving and they're trying to figure out how to maximize engagement in this very valuable now you sound like oliver stone in putin's defense nato was pressuring them so he had to invade you well, i think oliver stone is just being objective no, he, like, he, looking he, at the whole thing uh yes but i'm not defending uh yeah i'm I, just saying that like journalists are in a precarious position where without clickbait, it's very difficult to people for people to click on links. And the only way they make any money is if someone clicks on links. They get advertiser revenue or they can get people to subscribe. They, they'll trick you with a very salacious headline and then say, this is only available to members. Sure. I'm here. And but just because you're broke and desperate doesn't mean you get to be a shitty person. True. True. But I mean, you know, I think that the institutions themselves are shitty and they're trying desperately to try to maintain relevance in this day and age where people don't want to buy print anymore. They don't want to pay for it. And there's so much available that's free and they're sort of playing catch up now. And a lot of the free stuff, the model that is most successful is clickbait, unfortunately. 
And I think what we're talking about with YouTube and Twitter and all that stuff is one of the problems is managing at scale. Imagine the sheer volume of tweets you have to go through or the sheer volumes of, of YouTube videos get up uploaded every day. The problem is censorship. It's not the problem of the algorithm. If the algorithm existed independently of censorship, I don't think people would have as much of a problem with it. It's that the algorithm exists, and then on top of that, they censor things. You know, they remove things where it's like YouTube will remove a video if it is a discussion of a peer-reviewed paper, scientific paper, that doesn't fit in with whatever ideology they're pushing. It's that's like the most blatant and ridiculous censorship and that exists people have had videos removed for discussing Trials of ivermectin on yellow fever because they're, they're doing things about ivermectin and they've decided that ivermectin is negative because of the political consequences or they also do something um, I would say worse, which is uh, I think they call it deceleration which they don't you know, I, I guess people call that shadow banning. Yeah. They, they don't recommend it or recommend it much less in the search and discovery process. Yeah. Which is very difficult to detect. Yeah. So, like, when your video gets removed, at least there's a definitive, like, okay, that happened. That act of censorship, usually automated censorship, happened. You can protest or you can at least go to another social platform and say, what the hell, this happened. Yeah. You have some power. When you're being shadow banned, you have no power. Because you just sound like a whiny person that says they're shadow banned. There's no evidence. Yeah. And that, that to me is really concerning. I think there should be like transparency about being decelerated and all those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's just like that it's, all, it's mostly going in one direction. You know, it's mostly going Which against is why conservatives. Elon uh, is a good counterbalance to all of this. Yes. And why, I mean, he got, even I got some shit for um, the idea of bringing Trump back to social media, to, to Twitter. Well, look what he did the other day. Trump on his Truth Social retruthed someone talking about civil war. Like we, you know, just the person just said civil war, talking about you know something that upset them, and then Trump retruthed it, which is like their version of retweeting it. Yeah. Like what the fuck, man? Yeah. Civil war, yes. Civil war, no. No comment. Civil war is bad. Very bad. Very bad. Hopefully, we don't use it. Hopefully, don't want to. Don't want to use civil war. Do you think it does seem that removing it from Twitter solved some of this problem, but aren't you afraid of the slippery slope of it? There's a slippery slope for sure. And it's also he's like a lot of fun to follow. Yeah. He's kind of a hilarious guy to follow. Well, I mean, I like stupid shit. The problem is is like with stupid shit, it's like if someone makes a video about the world being hollow and aliens live underneath it and they're using marionette strings to control our dictators, that's funny. It doesn't it doesn't, I don't believe in it, but somebody might. And the problem is we're protecting dumb people from bad ideas. Because there's a lot of people out there that think that they are smarter than other people. And so they're worried about people being influenced by ideas that yeah. they, they think are invalid. Whether it's ideas about the Illuminati or ideas about whatever the fuck it is. It's like you're protecting people because like if there's flat earth videos and you're banning them. Like, who are you saving? Who are you saving? <laughs> like, is that affecting you? Are you buying into the Flat Earth video? Well, yeah, that, because I've had this discussion with YouTube a bunch. I talk to their engineers a lot, and they bring up Flat Earth as an example of something that's been debunked. And just the, the confidence and arrogance they have about that concerns me. 
Just like, the fact that they say it's been debunked? Yeah, like they, they 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 give it as a clear example as like as we know that this is doesn't there's no scientific basis for this. Right. I'm not exactly sure why that bothers me so much, but I sense behind that that first of all, a lot of them probably if we're sat down wouldn't be able to prove to me that the earth is round. Right. Like, they probably wouldn't understand how they have proved it in the past. No, that no other people, but I'm yes. saying them directly. So you're now trusting, there's a kind of universal trust in science. Fine, that's good because there's so much science has done that we can't possibly understand all of it. But you can't just have a, a, a blank check for trusting all of authority, all of scientific institutions, especially on new things. Right. And that arrogance, I mean, the, the biggest thing I have a problem with is the arrogance because you should have a humility. Like why is there a community of people that believe the earth is flat? You can say it's because they're all stupid. But I just feel like that's a slippery slope too. Believing that there's just a bunch of dumb people, like give them, like that's an opportunity to educate them or hear them out. Like, mm -hmm. where, what is at the core of this belief? It's probably it's a distrust of the scientific institutions, which, which to me seems to be the problem you need to solve. Not like censoring this community of people that believe the Earth is uh, flat. I think the correct ways have our video responding to that, proving yeah. that they're wrong. And that way you can watch both. And without like rolling your eyes during the video. Right. Which is what they often do. There's a kind of um, sure. mocking of the other yeah. side. It's an opportunity to educate. Mo most of us, even the people that believe the earth is round, don't know 99.999% of uh, like cannot explain how the universe works. 99.999% of it. Science is at the very early stages of understanding. We don't understand most of anything about the human mind, most of anything about the universe, about biology. It's a giant mystery. And we congratulate ourselves because we made a lot of progress in the past century or two centuries, depending on the discipline. But we're, in, we're mostly, the world is shrouded in mystery. And I think humility should, humility should be the driver for the recommender systems on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and so on. And always err on the side of free speech, I think. I think so, too, and I think it's also an interesting opportunity to explore why people believe stupid shit, why people believe the Earth is flat, why people believe space is fake. You know, there's a th thriving community of people that think that space is fake, and, and a lot of it has to do with, like, religious beliefs. They believe that, you know, there's, a, there's like, a dome over, over the Earth, and the Earth is, like, a flat disk. Well, I also, I mean, I can empathize... Because there's something, I mean, I'm sure there's something genetically, biologically wrong with me or right with me. But I find those things fun to think about. They're fun. Why there's is that fun? There's nothing wrong with you because well, it's so silly. Yeah, but but then maybe it's a slippery slope. You have a little bit of fun. You get, get, get into a room. You have some beers with your friends. And then you're like, the fun turns in, and you get T-shirts <laughs> and mugs. And but all of a sudden you have a Facebook group. Isn't fun too? When you find out that there's like... They think there's thetans inside of you, and they were frozen. They threw them in a volcano, and yeah. that's that's fucking fun. But then they start threatening you that if you ever leave, we'll <laughs> reveal some shit about you. Well, that's criminal. That's right. not cool. But yeah. the actual beliefs themselves, like the Mormons believe when you die, you get your own planet. Hilarious. Each person gets their own planet? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Did you know that the Osmond brothers had an album that was dedicated to that belief? And that inside the album is like all these worlds. It's like in the the jacket of the album yeah. when you open up the album cover, there's like these worlds, 
and this is all based on this Mormon principle written by a fucking 14-year-old con artist. Allegedly. In 1820. Maybe he was onto something. Maybe I mean, what what do you know what happens? Uh, No, I don't. How do you know you don't get your own planet? Imagine if this one guy was onto something. He really knew. And everybody's like, he lied about everything else, but he was right about this. What, what if planet is just a metaphor for a simulation? You get to enter, Ooh. you get transported to another world. That's or the whole point. your entire life and your existence. I mean, you don't know how the world sees you when you're not around. Maybe you literally do live in your own planet. Maybe as you go through life thinking that you're going to go visit your friend and that he's there when you're not there, maybe he doesn't even exist until you show up. Yeah. Maybe all that social media stuff. Maybe it was all, all an illusion. This whole this this pocket. I I created you. I manifested oh. you. You and Jamie and this microphone. This is all for me. Thank you. This whole world. You're fake, Joe. I'm You're honored to be uh, at least so can alive. Can I shoot you now? For a, not yet. The, okay. Wait for this podcast. It's, all, it's almost over. We're <laughs> about three hours. But if you if <laughs> if you just waited until. You know, I mean, imagine if you found out that your life was really a simulation and that all of your interactions with people were pro and con were all these little lessons that you learned and yeah. you're just going through this thing to experience enough different scenarios to have a better, more comprehensive understanding of who you are as an individual. Yeah. It's it's a it's a, like a meditative journey exploring your own mind if you you think of what vr would be in the future yeah create a whole world that's what video games are right you create a whole world just to be able to understand yourself better that's what a therapy session will be of the future is you create an entire planet see the mormons are onto something (laughs) you create an entire planet entire civilization and places you into a particular aspect that gets helps you to work out your ancestral issues like your 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 relationship with your dad, your relationship with your mom, your like uh, former girlfriends or whatever, you have to figure all of that out, and it creates just the kind of crazy people around you or healthy people to 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 help you figure that out. And mm. then at the end of your life, you come to that realization, and then you return back to the eternal self with the deep resol- realization of what uh, um, like resolving some of the deep psychological issues that you had before. Well, you know, Elio Gracie felt his belief was that you lived the same life over and over and over again until you got it right, until you made all the correct choices, made all the right decisions at every single stage of your life, and that this life is like this constant process of improving upon your existence. So uh, Nietzsche had the eternal recurrence thing where, unlike Elio Gracie, I guess you don't get to change. You just keep doing it. You keep doing the exact same thing, which focuses your mind and saying the decisions you make at any one moment will be repeated for all eternity. Therefore, there's, um, there's a lot of pressure to get it right. There's a lot of importance to getting it right. Like, imagine every single thing you do today will be repeated for eternity over and over and over and over and over. Is that terrible? Here's my thought. Why are people afraid of that? Because they are. If you tell people that they feel trapped, they feel like locked into this existence over and over and over again, having to live your life over and over and over again. But don't you like it now? It's just now. It's always now. It's always this. It's always this moment. The moment. Forever. Yeah. So I like this. 
So why am I scared of doing it over and over again forever? So you, you might not like the day. Right. Most of us, if we're conscious of the moment, we like the moment. If you treat it with care and understanding and humility and compassion and intelligence, it's possible to enjoy a lot of the moment. Obviously, there's horrific accidents and terrible tragedies and there's things you can't enjoy. But overall, if you're alive, especially if you're you or me, and you're very privileged, and you're very fortunate, you live in America and you have a job that's rewarding and fascinating and great and all these good things, why wouldn't you want to keep doing it forever? Like, what are you scared of? Are you, if you, are you scared of living today? No. Then why are you scared of living today forever? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, there, it, why does that feel like it's trapping? trapped? Yeah, feel like a trap. Yeah, yeah. we because I think we want to transcend. I think we feel trapped by our monkey bodies. We want to transcend this existence and be something more spiritual, be something more complete. I think we we find these little moments of that when you do show kindness and compassion and love and camaraderie and all these different things that elevate us beyond the, the base existence and give us this, like this new, even if it's only a temporary, fresh perspective, fresh enjoyment of life. And then we hope that one day we'll be free of all the things that hold us down to this very primal base, survival-based existence. Yeah, can I read a poem? Yeah. Right. Let's end with your poem. It's a tradition, it. right? It's kind it. of a tradition. Do you want Robert Frost or Bukowski? Oh, always Bukowski. All right. This is about the moment. It's a little bit of a long it's one. perfect, though. The moment? I mean, it's literally right there. It's right in there. line with what we were talking about. It's called Nirvana by Charles Bukowski. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. I, I enjoyed this very much. <laughs> Good to see you. It's good to see you always. Nirvana by Charles Bukowski. Not much chance. Completely cut loose from purpose. He was a young man riding a bus through North Carolina on the way to somewhere, and it began to snow. And the bus stopped at a little cafe in the hills, and the passengers entered. He sat at the corner with the others. He ordered, and the food arrived. The meal was particularly good in the coffee. The waitress was unlike the women he had known. She was unaffected. There was a nature, there was a natural humor which came from her. The fry cook said crazy things. The dishwasher in the back laughed a good, clean, pleasant laugh. The young man watched the snow through the windows. He wanted to stay in that cafe forever. The curious feeling swam through him that everything was beautiful there, that it would always be beautiful there. Then the bus driver told the passengers that it was time to board. The young man thought, I'll just sit here. I'll just stay here. But then he rose and followed the others into the bus. He found his seat and looked at the cafe through the bus window. Then the bus moved off, down a curve, downward, out of the hills. The young man looked straight forward. He heard the other passengers speaking of other things, or they were reading or attempting to sleep they had not noticed the magic. The young man put his head to one side, closed his eyes, pretended to sleep. There was nothing else to do, just to listen to the sound of the engine, the sound of the tires in the snow. So, the magic 
is the moment. Here's to the magic, Joe Rogan. Here's to the magic, my Thank brother. Thank you, brother. Love Thank you, you man. Friend. Love you, it's too. It's always great. Always great to see you. Bye, everybody. Bye.